Calgary guys staying at home. Ryan Pinder and Pat Steinberg talking sports, pop culture, life, and anything else. Your afternoon diversion is right here. Stream online at sportsnet.ca slash 960. Download the Sportsnet or Radio Player Canada apps. Pinder and Steinberg are on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. It is Hall of Fame week in the hockey world, so I figured that's a good way to kick off the program on this Monday. Wednesday is when we will find out about Hall of Fame inductions. Wednesday is when the class of 2020 for the Hockey Hall of Fame will be announced. First off, Jerome McGinley should be named as a first ballot Hall of Famer on Wednesday afternoon. I know there are some who believe that Aginla is not a first ballot candidate, but if you believe that Jerome is not a first ballot candidate, you would be wrong. He is one of the greatest goal scorers in NHL history. He was one of the great goal scorers of his era. He may not have a Stanley Cup, but he has plenty of other accolades. Jerome Aginla will be and should be a first ballot hockey hall of famer on Wednesday. I don't know if there's a whole lot of debate on that, so I'm just going to leave that there. And if the text line wants to dispute, we can come back and we can talk about that a little bit later. But I also have a bit of a message for the hockey hall of fame today. And I think it's an important message two days until we find out who the class of 2020 will be. It is time to correct a wrong and it is time to make Theron Fleury, an honored member of the Hockey Hall of Fame as well. On Wednesday, I think it would be only fitting for the two greatest right wingers in Calgary Flames history, perhaps the two greatest Calgary Flames in the team's history, if they were to be voted to the Hockey Hall of Fame on the same day, that would be pretty awesome and that would be pretty just. There is not, there, there is not one hockey reason keeping Flurry from the Hall of Fame. His credentials speak loudly, and that's the only thing that should be taken into consideration when looking at his candidacy for the Hall of Fame. And he is an obvious candidate. More than 1,000 points over his career, more than 1,000 games. He was point per game over more than 1,000 NHL games. He won a Stanley Cup in 1989. He won an Olympic gold medal in 2002. He's a world junior gold medalist as well. Nothing from a credential standpoint suggests anything other than Theron Fleury being a Hall of Famer. And then when you want to go in and talk about some of the other players who are enshrined in the Hall, it becomes even more obvious. But taking taking some of the somewhat lackluster candidates that the Hall has been criticized for electing in the early 2000s out of the conversation, based even on the classes that we've seen, which have been far more, um, you know, far more representative of what a Hall of Fame should be and far more representative of what this Hall should be over the last five to ten years, Theron Fleury still belongs in the Hockey Hall of Fame. But there remains a personal reason. I don't know exactly what it is. I don't know 100% what ends up going into these decisions when they do their secret ballot and when they make their votes every year. But there remains a personal reason why Fleury continues to not be elected. He has been eligible for more than a decade. There's, if you want to make the argument that he wasn't a first ballot guy, okay, let's have that conversation. You want to actually tell me that Theron Fleury is not a Hockey Hall of Famer? It's been 11 years since he was officially eligible, and it's time for him to go in. Uh, this is the Hockey Hall of Fame for the best players to have ever played the game. It's not the Hockey Hall of Fame for guys that 
I like or guys that I don't like. It is for the greatest players in the game. It is for the resumes that deserve to be enshrined forever, and Flurries fits the bill. Yes, I fully understand that during his playing days, he rubbed people the wrong way. But what we know about Flurries past, and more importantly, the conversation and the important conversations that we have been having in recent years about abuse and about mental health, I think it's time to separate the, the, the things that might have rubbed people the wrong way during his playing career from the actual candidacy of Fleury for the Hockey Hall of Fame. I think the more and more we are hearing about whether it is Dan Carcillo's uh, or, or the lawsuit spearheaded by Don, Dan Carcillo against junior hockey right now, whether it is some of the other conversations and revelations that we found out about mental health and abuse, so on and so forth over the last number of years, I think it speaks pretty loudly to some of the demons that Theo was dealing with while he was playing in the NHL. And I think it's time to separate those things from whatever the reasons that are keeping him from the Hockey Hall of Fame. Make it right on Wednesday. I'm not confident they will, but it is time to make it right. It's time to get that guy into the Hockey Hall of Fame. He belongs there. He deserves to be there. And uh, I hope that's what we're talking about on Wednesday because Mr. Klein, Jerome Aginla, 100%. First ballot Hall of Famer, no questions asked. You cannot convince me that Jerome Aginla does not belong in the Hockey Hall of Fame. In the same breath, you also cannot convince me that Theron Fleury does not belong in the Hockey Hall of Fame. On Wednesday, almost certainly one will be elected. It's time to make it both being elected. One will become eligible for the first time on Wednesday. The other has been eligible for more than a decade. Let's do them both because I, I, I don't think there's any reason that somebody could throw at me that suggests that Fleury doesn't belong there the same way I don't think there's any argument you can throw at me that suggests that Aginla doesn't deserve to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. There is my uh, Monday afternoon rant to start the program. Yeah, the, the Aginla one is obvious. And this whole, oh, well, I don't know if he's a first ballot Hall of Famer or not. Like that, that is one of the stupidest arguments that's ever had in all of sports because what changes from one year to the next? Like why, why? What's what's the point of any of that? It's so stupid, along with Ken Griffey Jr. not being a unanimous voter or whatever that was. That whole thing is absolutely ridiculous. And the, to the, the Theo point, there isn't a hockey hockey, a hockey reason why uh, he's not in right now. Like 455 career goals, you rattle off the, the resume, Stanley Cup champion, Olympic gold medalist, world junior hockey championship gold medal, really paved the way for players of a smaller stature to make their way into the league and be taken a bit more seriously in the National Hockey League. And as you mentioned, ha has brought up a, a number of very uncomfortable conversations that absolutely needed to be had, not only in uh, the, the NHL, but in junior hockey as well. And look, if there is a personal reason that Theo doesn't go into the, the Hall of Fame, like I'm, I'm looking at it, I believe there are 411 people in the Hockey Hall of Fame right now. I'm going to go out on a limb and say a couple of them are dicks. I'm just, I'm going to guess that a couple people in the Hockey Hall of Fame of 411 huh. aren't super awesome people. Like there's just pretty good chance that this is a thing. So that this isn't the Hall of awesome guys. And even that, like, what? I, I just, I don't, I don't understand. Personal bias has zero to do 
with the Hockey Hall of Fame. This isn't Big Brother where you have to worry about jury management uh, along with things. It, it is what you did out on the ice and also the impact you had on this game. And for Jerome Aginla, Aginla's going to get him. It, it would be absolutely, you look at the, the Hall of Fame class there, if any people uh, of those who are eligible get in over Jerome Aginla, it is uh, borderline travesty. And Theo deserves to be in there as well. There's just, I, I can't wrap my head around it. I, I don't understand it even a little bit. And this is one of the reasons why I would love for there to be a bit more transparency in the Hockey Hall of Fame discussion. That That is one of the... It's one of the, the pet peeves that I have is that it's it's so secretive. And if you are part of the committee that votes for the Hockey Hall of Fame, you can't say why or why not a guy is in or isn't in. And and that yeah. uh, is th- that makes it a little bit easier for some of these very head-scratching decisions to continue to go unchecked. I mean, the Hockey Hall of Fame is for the greatest hockey players who have ever played the game. And that that is not it is not the NHL ho- Hockey Hall of Fame. It is the Hockey Hall of Fame, which means and and they they have done a better job in recent years of electing some of the great women who have played this game, the elite women, the best who have ever played the game, and that's very important. And and I think that's been a huge step taken forward. Uh, I think in the last couple of decades there has been a bigger push in recognizing what some of the great European players have done who didn't necessarily have the full ability or didn't didn't decide to use the NHL as the main place they played. Um, so I just, it's Jerome, Jerome Aginla, I don't think there's any argument. And I think most, you know, I remember when we talked about this when Jerome was leaving the Flames, and, and, and I remember there were a couple people on the text line saying, hold on, you think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer? Yes, I think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Of course he is. But... That's that's a different conversation because nobody believes he won't become won't won't be elected on Wednesday. The problem is, I will be stunned if Flurry is elected on Wednesday. It will be a shocker because it's been a decade and a bit, and the guy hasn't been elected to this point. And I know. And, and the crazy thing is, is that there are six new members of the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame selection committee every year. It's a rolling thing where you're on for three years, and every three years, six uh, every year rather, six people drop off and six new people come on. And and throughout all of that. There has not been a 75 or even a 50 to 75 percent vote to get Flurry in, which I cannot wrap my head around. Yes, there were demons that Flurry was dealing with while he was in the NHL. And I think we understand more than ever why those demons were part of his experience in the NHL. He has been as open as any human being ever could be about what he dealt with, his, his substance abuse, the abuse at the hands of Graham James, and the subsequent trauma that comes with that, the mental health battles that he dealt with. Look, he was, he was an absolute pain in the ass to play against on the ice, and... You know what? I understand why he might have rubbed people the wrong way while he was playing. He understands. He's talked about that. Not everybody agrees with his political stances in 2020. But these are not reasons to keep him out of the Hockey Hall of Fame. You you bring a guy right. into the hall for what he does on the ice. And and am I biased on this? 100%. I, I, uh, I, growing up in this city, being a born and raised Calgarian, Theron Fleury was 
part of my youth, and he was the superstar in this city uh, as as hockey became more and more a part of my life in the 1990s. And so, yeah, 100% I'm biased. And even furthermore on that, I have been able to and, and had the privilege to get to know Theo in his post-career, and, and it still remains one of the coolest pinch-myself uh, things in this industry is when one of my idols growing up comes up to me and says, Pat, how you doing, brother? Like yeah, that that is still so one one hundred percent. I am biased on Theon, Theron Fleury being in the Hall of Fame, and in saying that, I believe I can still remove myself and objectively look at all of what he accomplished in his career and say, yes, that is a Hockey Hall of Fame career based on who's in the Hockey Hall of Fame and just based on what a Hall of Fame career is for most people. He was an elite player. He won his championships. He has the stats to back it up. He is a 400-goal scorer. He has 600-plus career assists. He is point per game over 1,000 in the NHL. It is mind-boggling that he is not in as of yet. So... Fingers crossed yeah. for Wednesday. No, I agree. I don't know if it's going to happen on Wednesday. I'm not confident it is because it hasn't happened yet. But, you know, it might be a yearly thing until it happens. But there is my Theron Flurry should be in the whole rant. Uh, we'll read some text. But go ahead, Kleiner. Yeah, no, and I, I am completely with you. Um, and also, do want to clarify, because someone called it on the text line. I am not saying in any way I think Theo is a dick. I, I've met him a couple times and could not have been nicer to me. Had an absolute blast chatting with him. Anytime I've met him, I'm just saying that if for whatever reason Theo rubbed you the wrong way, there's probably a couple people in the Hall of Fame who have rubbed other people the wrong way, and somehow that's been overlooked. So whatever personal bias anyone might have against Theo, you're supposed to put that away yes. when you're judging for the Hockey Hall of Fame. 100%. 100%. Here are some of the texts at 960-960. Um... Pat, I couldn't agree more with you. They should both be in and together would be amazing. How cool would that be? I mean, to, well, to, be unreal. Have, to have those two go in together would be amazing. In, in a lot of ways, you know, the, the two, one, one being traded kind of passed the torch to the other. Um, when, when Theron Fleury was traded in 1998, it, it kind of handed the torch to Jerome McGinley as the guy, the next leader, the next superstar of this team, and it sure did work that way. Um, if like, and and for some, Theo Fleury's the greatest flame. For some, Joe Newendike. For some, Jerome McGinley. I just think there's no question those are the two greatest right wingers to ever have careers in a flaming sea, and probably the two best careers ever in a flaming sea when you take everything into account. You know, McKinnis and Neuendijk didn't have full careers as members of the Flames. Hoke and Lube only spent a, a certain amount of time here. The stories of Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk and Sean Monaghan, kind of the, the current stars of this team, their stories are still being written. So a few more texts. I will be stunned if Aginla is not inducted on Wednesday. I will be equally stunned if Fleury gets in. He's an obvious candidate, and we all know it. But if he was ever going to get in, he would have by now. It's clear the only thing keeping him out is unprofessionalism by some of the people who vote on it. His resume is Hall of Fame worthy. It doesn't matter if he rubbed you the wrong way or not. And honestly, even the good that Theo has done in the last several years should not be taken into account. The voting should be based on what he did on the ice, period. But sadly, it is not. Fair point. I agree with that 100%. Um, this reads, Aginla is definitively a first ballot Hall of Famer, no questions asked. 
Theo Fleury should have been in the hall for a long time now, but the NHL's higher-ups have had some seriously questionable decision-making over the decades. Malkin not in the top 100. If Taves is in, Malkin is in. Um, this re- asks, would it help Theron Fleury to be retired by the Flames first before being considered for an induction into the Hall of Fame? I don't know. I do think that now that they've kind of transitioned from forever aflame to retiring Jerome Ginla's jersey. If if the three retired numbers in Calgary Flames history are Lanny McDonald, Mike Vernon, and Jerome Ginla, does Theo Fleury not belong in that same conversation? Of of sort of of course it does. So I Fleury. also I also think that his numbers should be retired, but that's not you know right now we're imminently on a Hall of Fame conversation on Wednesday. So I just wanted to put that out there and make sure that I, I got my impassioned plea that nobody will listen to. Uh, but still wanted to make sure that I, I got that on the record. I'm I'm with you on this. Yes. And also Jersey should be retired as well, but let's let, let, let's save that, that drum for another day right now. Let, let's get Theo into the hall of fame. You look at some of the people who they're saying should be uh, also being considered. And they're like, Marion host is getting into the hockey hall of fame like that, that one. But then like, Patrick Eliash, Pierre Turgeon. It's like, get out of here. Get Theo in there. Stop this. Well, I mean, and I mean, some of the some of the guys who are going in 100% deserve to be there. 100%. Totally. But, but so does Theo. So does Theo. I mean, are you telling me that that Marion Hosa's career was definitively better than Theo Fleury's? It, yeah, he might, might have won more Stanley Cups, but I, I would suggest you go take a look at the numbers and take a look at what they accomplished. And let's not forget, a good chunk of Theo's career was played when uh, scoring was not at its highest, and yet he was still right. one of the highest scoring players in the league. Like, <sighs> Flurry's candidacy should not be in question, and yet every year it is. So, and, and, and it remains difficult to see who is in and then see him not being in. It, I, I think it takes, I, I think it, Every single year, it continues to call the 100% credibility of the Hall into question because this should be the best players in the NHL, the best careers in the, not the NHL, rather, the best careers history in the game of hockey. And when you're omitting ones that are clearly there based on bias and and reasons that we'll never know, it makes it hard to say 100% I'm on board with this. Every Hall of Fame has their own crosses to bear. Baseball's got their own things and, and... there's there's plenty of debate surrounding who is and is not in the uh, in Cooperstown in the Baseball Hall of Fame, but you know this is we're we're talking about hockey in this city and a guy that is very near and dear to many in this city. I think he should be in. Welcome to the program. Happy Monday. How are you, Klein? I'm doing well, thank you. After a, a nice relaxing weekend, uh, things are a little hectic at uh, Shea Klein today, but overall, uh, life is good. No complaints here. Uh, and I'm glad to hear that. Uh, it is Steinberg, it is Klein, it is Riley Pollock on the ones and twos today from our Sportsnet 960 downtown studios. It has been an eventful few days since the last time you and I spoke uh, on the radio anyway. Um, you uh, you had a busy day to uh, deal with on Friday. There was lots happening uh, from both the sports news standpoint and kind of in the newsy side of sports. Uh, Friday saw a bunch of positive tests in the NHL, uh, a release from the NHL that said 11 
of 200 have tested positive for coronavirus since phase two of the restart plan uh, has begun. Uh, there is the whole controversy surrounding the report out of Toronto, and uh, that that became a, a big-time hot-button topic. But it really has what, what has happened with some of the tests in the NBA, Major League Baseball, college football, the NFL, and, of course, in the NHL with a number of members of the Tampa Bay Lightning. It, is, it has ignited the conversation once again whether or not the NHL should restart, whether or not this is the time for the NHL to restart, or any of the other leagues in question. It did not change my stance on the issue. Um, I, I was it was it was definitely not great news. I'm not, gonna, and we'll talk to Elliot Friedman about it in about ten minutes. But it was it was not great news. It was not the news that the NHL was hoping for. But it was. I mean, look, a lot of guys decided to stay in Florida, and as of right now, Florida is one of the diseases epicenter uh, epicenters worldwide. It's not crazy to think that people who are out and about in Florida and who are not taking 100% restrictive measures to self-isolate that there's a chance that you might get exposed and and might get infected. And so we found out that there were a, a number of positive cases uh with the Panthers, uh, sorry, with the Lightning and and it's it's you don't want to see that or hear that of course. It's just like I, I don't think that that was a death knell to the NHL's plans to restart. I still believe that once you get into a training camp conversation or once you get into the restart conversation, these guys are going to be significantly safer than anybody else out there because they're going to be in this bubble and they're going to be tested on a daily basis uh, once everything gets going. So it didn't change how I feel about the restart and how comfortable I am about them doing it, but my comfort level doesn't really matter. It's the players who are playing, It's and, and their comfort level probably ranges uh, up and down all of the NHLPA membership, and everybody's entitled to their own comfort level without being criticized for it. Uh, so it didn't change my thoughts. I don't know how it affects what actually happens for a July 10th start of training camp. It certainly makes you ask questions though. Right. And it's like, I, I do think you can pull it off once you get into the bubble, but you do have to get into the bubble. And then once you're in said bubble, like how, how are you getting all of this food for all of these professional athletes each and every day? And like, there's just, there are a lot of questions that need to be asked. And I, I certainly was asking them before, and I have come around a little bit on this for sure. But I, I do think that this was, again, a reminder that everything needs to be perfect for this to work. And if it doesn't, it is still a disease that is spreading. And it is still, it is especially in Florida. Um, and it is still a disease that, it, like, we are, as much as things are uh, relaxing a little bit, especially uh, up here in Canada and, and specifically for us here in Calgary, you do have to remind yourself we are still in a global pandemic and it is just an absolute petri dish right now in Florida and Vegas ain't doing too hot either. And that's been a place that's been looked at as a lock for this thing the whole time. And it doesn't and, necessarily sound like it is anymore. Yeah. Well, and I, I now this whole thing, move everything to Canada. We, we were kind of joking about it, but I'm not overly kidding. Like bring the NHL to Vancouver and Edmonton, move the NBA to Toronto, uh, bring Major League Baseball to like the Big O, the Rogers Center, and wherever the Vancouver Canadians play. Like just get away from the United States and what's going on with the disease down there because it's a disaster. And I don't know how comfortable I would be flying into that right now. Even, even once you get the bubble thing set up, 
if you have to get one person, whether it be a bus driver who calls in sick or we need more food or whatever, you're taking a risk. And when you're in a, a bubble, it's great at keeping stuff out. But if something gets in, it could spread pretty quickly. So I'm I am still pretty confident they can do it safely, but this certainly raised a lot of eyebrows. And it was it was a big day if you were one who didn't think that it's safe enough to do this thing. I just, I mean, look. I don't know how the baseball is going to do it. Well, and, and, and I think that that, I mean, who knows what's happening in baseball. Pretend, I mean, even if there wasn't a global pandemic, who the hell knows what's happening in Major League Baseball. Uh, that's just like this added complication to them figuring out how much money everybody's going to be sharing. Um, for me, what, what it really um, what, what it really comes down to is, and, and has always been about, is do you have the ability to test everybody involved on a daily basis? And if you're getting results in a timely fashion, then you're going to be able to do this. And, and I, I really do believe this. If you have the players agreeing to do it, if if they're comfortable in how the NHL is going about their uh, their business health and safety-wise, I mean, there, there's still a lot of groundwork that needs to be covered before a theoretical training camp could happen on July 10th. I think it will, and I think that there are reasons to believe this can be done safely, but I understand others don't, and I understand others who are involved may not feel as confident as I do, and that's 100% fair. And when it's all said and done they matter a whole lot more than I do. And, and I don't think that a player who doesn't feel as confident as you or as I do or another player in another league or on another team should be criticized if they don't feel comfortable. This is a very, this is a very personal, personal thing. I mean, it, it's, it's the same when, you know what, there are plenty of people right now who don't feel comfortable being out and about even in Calgary. And that's fair. That's that's a very personal thing, and, and nobody should be criticized for their comfort level as to where this whole thing is. But do I believe they can do this safely? Yes. Do I believe that uh, it, it will continue to go forward? Yeah, I do. And, and I will say this, to your point, I don't know if basketball or baseball will think about moving into Canada, but the NHL has three cities that submitted to be a hub city, and there's no reason why they can't choose two of Edmonton, Vancouver, or Toronto. And and I, I know that our premier is continuing to push for Edmonton to be a hub city. There's no reason why Edmonton shouldn't be. I mean, yes, there's all this whole time. Well, do NHL players want to go to Edmonton? It doesn't matter. You're you're not going to be experiencing all that these cities have to offer, whether you're in Vegas, whether you're in Vancouver, whether you're in Cancun, London, England, it doesn't matter. You're still going to be in a bubble, so it doesn't matter what the cities, how, if, if you think it's the greatest city in the world or not. You're there to play hockey and finish a season. That's what it's all about. So, you know, I think going to Edmonton is just fine. We'll see if they end up going down that way. Um, and it's funny, just before we hit the break, Clatter, Toronto's in Florida. The, the Raptors have made their way to Florida, and they're the one team that is going to be doing training camp in Florida. And I, uh, that's that's a look. Flor you use the word petri dish. Yeah, I mean Florida's a mess right now when it comes to the amount of cases that are going through. If you're the Raptors, how careful can you be? I don't think there is a too careful for the Toronto Raptors to get their training camp underway as uh, they start to prepare for the NBA's relaunch plan. Yeah, could, could you imagine that conversation? Okay, so wait a minute. I'm going from here to there now? Like, what? what why, why, why am I leaving right now? Why, why are we doing this? Why, you want me to go to Florida today? I'll, all right, man, I guess. But yeah, no, I mean, look, there, and I, again, 
all of these leagues aren't just, ah, go to Florida, you'll be fine. Like, there's the, the NBA are inventing rings for players to, to use. Like, they're, they are going to the ends of the earth to make sure all these players stay safe. They don't want any of their guys to test positive. Uh, so all there is going to be absolutely a lot of, just like, every measure can will be taken to make sure no one gets sick at these things but every measure has been made all across the globe to make sure people don't get sick and it's still happening so it's just it's a tricky thing to figure out more important news today on that front by the way in terms of contracts and uh, how that's all going to work because june 30th is the standard completion date of a contract so if you're a pending ufa usually june 30th is when your contract will expire there's some important news on that uh we'll touch on that and more on all of the nhl's restart plans where do we stand today we'll find out next couple minutes time elliot friedman joins us on pinder and steinberg we're underway on a monday sportsnet 960 the fan Sportsnet 960 The Fan. This is Pinder and Steinberg. Time to hear from our NHL insider, Elliot Friedman. Elliot Friedman, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. You're reopening, but will visitors come? Calgary Lock and Safe recommends hands-free doors for safety. Install now and pay when you can. Explore at calgarylockandsafe.com. Elliot, uh, in a lot of ways, Friday was not a, a great day for a lot of sports when it comes to their returns to play, but uh, that includes the NHL, which we're focusing hey, on. what are you doing? Where, uh, where are we on Monday afternoon after the news of uh, what we heard on Friday? What's the latest and uh, what are we hearing from around the league? Well, I think, I, I think Pat, it's, it's very fair to say that some players were really shaken. Um, it wasn't just hockey, too. You know, we had... If you, if you follow college sports, you saw the Clemson and LSU yep. football teams had some big ones. Major League Baseball, there were some. There was one in the NFL. There was, uh, I don't know if there are any basketball, uh, basketball, I don't remember. But, you know, I was just on Toronto and Richard Deitch told me, I didn't realize it, but one of the women's soccer teams uh, basically announced today that they're not going to compete because they had a few positive tests. So I think it was hard not to, um, you know, like, you'd have to be really unaware not to be kind of thinking, wow, like this is, this is a big deal. And, you know, I thought about it and I thought it was a big deal. Um, But, you know, I I know the leadership from the league and the players is trying to say, look, we knew as we tested more, we'd get positive tests. Let's kind of see where we are and let's see where this goes. But I I think you'd have to be an ostrich with your head in the sand, uh, not to be a little shaken and surprised Mm -hmm. by the numbers of the last weekend. As the NHL started to rethink their choices on hub cities based on what happened and, and some of the news that we heard on Friday? I, I don't know if it's so much that. I, you know, like I, I heard, like there was a rumor going around the weekend about uh, Vegas and Vancouver, and I, and I heard that rumor. And, and um, you know, I, I think that, again, I think it's difficult to say because life changes every day. But the one thing about Vegas I know is they feel that they can keep a bubble there. Okay. Like, I think that's going to be the biggest question now, Pat, is it's not necessarily um, – well, I think the, the area that you're in, how safe is it, is it? Absolutely. But also, do you think you can keep a bubble? Like, one of the issues I've heard about Toronto is that they're worried about how they can keep the bubble. Like Toronto has the infrastructure, it's got the rinks, it's got the hotels, but I've heard there's a worry about the bubble. And if there's any worry about that, forget it. And the thing about Vegas is, you know, I think in Vegas, they really feel that, yes, there's been an uptick, but 
they believe they can keep a bubble there. That's one of the things I've heard. You can put players into a resort or two, and you can lock and you can lock the rest of the world off from them. Uh, Vancouver and Edmonton, I believe they're big co whatever term you want to use, co-favorites, whatever. Okay. Um, they're they're out. They're definitely in it for the same reasons, and I think they've both got a legit shot. What goes into finalizing this? Like what between now and whenever we hear about what, where the two hub cities will be, what goes into it? What's the process and what are all the things that will be considered when they, when they finally make this decision? Well, I think safety of the bubble is a big one. Uh, I do think cost is a factor. Um, you know, I think safety is obviously the biggest factor. Which one do you think you can keep your players safe? That's enormous. Uh, cost is another one. I think that's one of the reasons why the Canadian teams are being included because the cost, because the Canadian dollar are cheaper. Um, and then I think it kind of goes to, you know, where did, like the players have a huge say in this, you know, especially if you're, if you're a team that goes deep in the playoffs, you know, you're going to be in there for, uh, probably looks like o- over two months. Like it looks like it's going to be about 75 or so days yep. that you're going to be in the bubble. So, you know, people say, well, should it come down to the quality of hotels? If I was living somewhere for 75 straight days, you know, I'd like it to be a good place. So I think all of this stuff is a factor in. Uh, are, are you hearing anything when it comes to a timeline? Are you hearing when we might find out definitively? Well, I think one of the reasons that the Vancouver Vegas stuff got out on the weekend was because they had to start booking hotels. So okay. I think that that's how some of these rumors started. I thought they might do it all as part of the lottery on Friday night. Now I'm wondering if, if the hubs get done early. Okay, so so you are, it, it does seem somewhat imminent then in, in that case. Well, like, honestly, like, today's what, the 22nd? I guess July 10th isn't that far away. Well, also, I think they want the vote done by the end of the month. Today's the 22nd, right? Yep. I always forget what day it is. Actually, Donovan Bennett just told me what day it is, and I completely <laughs> forgot. Like, I think they want to know by the end of the month. I think they do. Um, I, I think that it gives them time to see if they've got a winner here in terms of the whole uh, protocol and the CBA framework. And I think also it, um, you know, the, the league calendar ends June 30th. And I think they would like to know before then. Right if they've got a deal here. Um, you, you talk to people all over the league at, at all times of the day. I'm just curious as to what your feel is on where where the overall temperature of the players is because I think it's a very personal thing how comfortable you feel about a restart, how comfortable you feel in your safety, your family's safety. I don't think anybody should be criticized one way or the other as to how they feel about this whole thing, but do you feel that there would be enough players to say, I just, I, I'm simply not comfortable with this and I, and I won't be going forward with it to, to maybe make it not possible for this to happen? Well, you know, Pat, I think it goes back to the first question you asked me is, is last weekend. Um, you know, I, I think, I, I, and then first of all, let me just say, I completely agree with you. I am not going to criticize anyone for not playing. If you don't want to play, hey, like, we don't know what COVID-19 does to people. Mm-hmm. We know that there's certain people that it affects more than others. Yes. We know that. Uh, There are certain situations where it's easier to catch it than others, for sure. We know that some people walk away with, you know, we don't think they've got any serious situations. But, you know, I've also read about young people who've had some very serious situations. We don't know. 
Like to me, if you're not going to don't want to risk it, I'm good with that. I'm not critical. I'm going to work. If I'm asked to work, I'm going to work. But if any of my coworkers, Pat, say I'm not working, I'm not going to have a problem with mm-hmm. that. However, I do think, like I said at the beginning, I think what happened last weekend shook people. And I think that that's the biggest challenge you've got right now is we're kind of on the clock here. And are people going to be walked back from that? They have, you have time to change their minds. You know, how much did their minds change? Um, you know, it's, uh, it's like I quoted Margaret Thatcher in my Toronto hit. Maybe it doesn't matter what you feel now. It's, it matters, you know, when you step into that voting booth, how yeah, you feel. Fair enough. Elliot Friedman's with us from Hockey Night every Monday here on Pinder and Steinberg. What, uh, what did Friday's announcement uh, from the federal government when it comes to a cohort quarantine and essentially allowing players to return to Canada to be able to attend training camps, what did that mean for the NHL, which was kind of lost in all the other positive test news on Friday afternoon? Um, you know, I, I think it was good news because now you can put, you know, you can put a situation where you, you can put one of the hubs in Canada. Like that wasn't happening if there wasn't a change. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was weird. Like, you know, we're hearing about all these positive tests and then you're hearing the Canadian government doing this. And I think some people react neg- negatively to that, which I get. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, what kind of happens is that we're going to probably have a Canadian hub because of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just probably where we are. I mean, you know, the government, you would think, you know, as you know, I'm not a big fan of politicians. Um, you would think and hope they have a lot more better and better information than we do. Yes, uh, 100% on that front. Um, you uh, you tweeted some clarification on this. Uh, you and uh, Cap Friendly doing some, some work on, because it's been one of the big questions about this whole thing is, well, if they're not going to play until August and contracts are expiring on June 30th, what does that mean for players who were not supposed to be in contract after June 30th? What are we hearing on an extension of player contracts right now? Well, basically what I heard was that the they're trying to get the visas done, right? And in NHL, for a lot of NHL players, your visa if you need a visa to play in Canada or the States, your visa expires on June 30th on a regular contract. Mm. There are some players who are different, but most of them are June 30th. From what I understand, they, now they sent out a memo a couple weeks ago saying that if you can't get back into, if you don't get back by June 21st, which was yesterday, then they were worried that they wouldn't be able to get a new visa for you. Well, now what they're saying is that they can't get a visa for June 30th. So they've made a deal, the NHL and the PA, to extend the contracts of all those players who need visas through October 31st. And what that says to me, and I've heard, you know, Larry Brooks had a big story this weekend on the schedule, what mm-hmm. it could look like, like games by June, July 30th. From what I understand, the, the latest the Stanley Cup final can end is October the 5th. Okay? So what that says to me is that if there's a free agent date, in this schedule, it's November first, but they're not saying huh. at this point in time. Interesting. I never, I never thought of that. That's good connecting the dots on your part. Well, if actually. you think about yeah. it, like if if the if the if they're saying the contracts, which are normally June thirtieth, go through now October thirty first. 
So while we're going to be checking our Twitter while we're giving out candy. <laughs> um, and then, and, and you know, the Stanley Cup final, I believe the latest date is October 5th, but at least as now it's scheduled, that that's your free agent day. Well, it gives you actually a pretty good idea as to, okay, well, then you could probably slot in draft and buyout windows and all that type of stuff. You could start to... October. Exactly. It's going to be a big business month if this all happens. No doubt. Um, th- on, on that same note, it's funny because, okay, they have been able to uh, extend the contracts and agree on that part, but... If you're an unrestricted free agent uh, and a pending UFA, there's there's still probably some worry because this is such an unprecedented situation. We, we've seen Ryan Reeves and, and a few other guys sign extensions prior to the restart. The, the closer we get to a training camp, if it happens, do you see more pending UFAs maybe signing a shorter-term deal, deal just so they have some peace of mind if an injury happens or something like that, and now all of a sudden they're in a bad spot going into this new free agency period? I think it's going to depend on what your team cap situation is and what your number is. Like you look at Reeves, his number was what? 1.75. Yep. Like that's not a number that's going to cause you a lot of problems. Right. So you can, you can do that. Now is if it's like, if we're talking like a Taylor Hall or a Petrangelo here, I I just don't know what kind of situation you're looking at there. Mm -hmm. Same with like a Tory Krug. Like I think those, I think those kind of situations are a little bit different, right? Yeah, and I mean, I, I was thinking of it like even from a Calgary perspective. You're like, okay, well, we don't know what type of market would exist for a Hamannick or a Brody if they got there. Would they sign for even a one year deal just so they have a little peace of mind to play during this restart and not have to worry about if you get a knee injury and now all of a sudden your market takes a huge hit comes free come free agency. I'm sure there's some guys like that, Pat. It's like life. Like some people are gamblers and some people like security. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're a gambler and you have a family and you say, okay, now I crave security. Like when, before I was, before I was married with child, I, uh, I was a big gambler. I was not afraid to gamble on my, um, on my contracts mm-hmm. and things like that. I like to do that. And now, you know, it's like, if I was just if I was just in a boat where I was going to hit a mine and take myself out, I would still gamble. But you know now I, I have other people I have responsible for. So I think it depends largely on your personality. Like, do you do you bet on yourself or do you say, look, I read the room, I don't like this as much, and let's see what teams can do. But until teams know for sure what the cap is going to be, and let's just say they're setting it at eighty one and a half or eighty two for a couple of years. Uh, you know, for the bigger ones, it's just simply harder to yeah. do. Uh, he's Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada. He joins us Monday afternoons. Friday is the draft lottery. It's it's a big day, just in terms of of the spectacle, in terms of how big a deal the NHL makes it. Maybe news being announced. Uh, what what are you expecting come Friday evening? Um. Well, like I said, I I think we're going to know the hub cities at some point this week. And at one point, I thought they might do it on the draft lottery. Now I'm not so sure. I just don't know. Um, so, and I think we're going to get an idea of when the vote's going to be. Like, uh, you know, basically, if like if we're looking at a situation where it's all got to be done in eight days or a week tomorrow, mm-hmm. we're probably going to have a good idea of when the players are voting. Okay. So is it, like, do you, do you see Friday being, I know that we're doing something on Sportsnet and, and it'll be for television. It's just the first time the NHL has had an event since March. I, I just wonder how yep. big a deal they make it, how big a deal we make it at the network. Oh, I guarantee you we're going to make it a big deal. 
Like we're going to be as subtle as a, a, a freaking neutron bomb here. I think Pat, like this, this is something like the draft lottery is big. It's always a big event. Now it's big in a vacuum. You know, you know, we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to blow this thing completely out of the water if we can. A couple of uh, non um, 100% NHL related things. Just a, a couple of observations I wanted for you before we let you go. What, uh, mm-hmm. j- just from afar and, and from what you've read, what did you make of the uh, junior hockey class action lawsuit spearheaded by Dan Carcillo? I guess that hit the news cycle on Friday as well. What, uh, what do you make of that? Well, you know, I, the way I look at it is this. Um, if this goes through, and we have uh, a lawsuit here, everything will be out in the open. Like, I'm not around junior hockey much anymore. Mm-hmm. I never really have been a lot in my career, but obviously I follow hockey, so I see it. People have said to me many times that they have worked hard to make it better. And Carcillo has, uh, was out of junior 13, what, 15 years ago. And, you know, Garrett Taylor, it's been a decade. But then you see Eric Guest, and, and I watched those videos last week or two weeks ago. And as a parent, now that I'm a parent, it's really hard to watch that. You imagine it and you, and you wonder, like, what if that's my child? And everybody I know who follows junior hockey and loves junior hockey more than I do says that it's not perfect, but it's better. Well, what this will do is it will take it all out in the open and we'll find out for sure. Mm-hmm. I've n- I'm never afraid of the truth whether it's good for me or it's bad for me. And I think that that's the only way you can look at this. We will find out the truth mm-hmm. about a lot of things. And, you know, the other thing I do wonder about, uh, Pat, and this is a secondary thing, but I think it is a thing. And that is that I wonder about the future of junior hockey in this country. And because, you know, there was just a $30 million settlement in the minimum wage suit. And the teams have to are responsible for half of that. Insurance is picking up half of that. Now you've still got the concussion lawsuit there, and now you've got this one. And there are I, like, I was planning on doing this. I have to go through it. I haven't had the time to lately. But there are a lot of owners who didn't own te- who current owners who didn't own some of these teams, and you know back when Carcillo played. And I think they're upset. And I think they're upset that they could be liable for this. And I do wonder about financially, there aren't many companies around that could handle settlements or defeats in three major lawsuits. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what this is going to mean for the sport. Yeah. And um, I think there's a lot of, I, I, think there, I think there's a lot of people internally wondering about that, about, you know, how what what the damages here could cost if there are damages. So I think there's two things. I think I, I think that we'll hear the truth about is the sport better at handling these things? Is, does it happen less often or not? We'll find out. And I think also we're gonna get in we're gonna get a picture of just financially what this could mean for the future of the CHL. Yeah. Well said. Um, and finally uh, any thoughts on the pending class of 2020 for the Hockey Hall of Fame? We'll find that out on Wednesday. Well, I have a feeling that you guys are going to have a big celebration. We hope so. Well, I, I just can't see how he's not getting in. 
His, like, am I nuts? I, I can't see how he's not. We're talking about Jerome again. I can't see how he's not uh, a first ballot Hall of Famer. We just had in the last segment, I made a pretty impassioned pitch for Flurry being a part of it. I'm not as confident that's going to happen, but I'm, I'm as close to 100% confident that Aginla will, will be voted as a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah. Well, no question. I'm, uh, I'm a big Flurry guy, too. I think he should be in. I, I'm, a, I'm a Flurry guy, too. Um, you know, I would say this, that uh, I think, I think Aginla is going to be in. Look, like, uh, you know, it's, I, I, I'm not saying that Lanny McDonald, like, influences the selection committee, but I, I mean, like, he's right there and he saw Aginla's influence firsthand. Like, yeah. I, I, I can't think that's going to hurt. But, um, you know, like, the other guy who I really believe and I would like to see be a Hall of Famer is Daniel Alfredson. I saw a lot of Daniel Alfredson. Um, many of his best years coincided with, um, you know, my time at hockey night in Canada. And I just thought he was a great player. And, uh, I think again, going to be in and I, and, uh, I hope Alfredson gets in. Outstanding stuff. As always, Mr. Friedman, uh, we will talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much as always. All right. Take care, Pat. Have a great week. You as well, my friend. That's Elliot Friedman. Elliot Friedman, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. You're reopening, but will visitors come? Calgary Lock and Safe recommends hands-free doors for safety. Install now and pay when you can. Explore at calgarylockandsafe.com. couple of interesting dots that Mr. Friedman connected there. We will double back on that. You can start to get a little bit of a feel as to what the ideal NHL critical date calendar is going to look like in non-ideal situations. We'll react to that next as Pinder and Steinberg rolls on. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Strange times for sure. Sportsnet 960, The Fan is here for you. No sports, no problem. Pinder and Steinberg continues right now on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Great stuff as always with Elliot Friedman. Last segment, it's Steinberg and Peter Klein along with you on this Monday afternoon and I thought was maybe the lots to take away from that, and it'll be up online if you missed it at sportsnet.ca slash 960 shortly. But the biggest takeaway for me is I hadn't connected the dots until Elliot did it for me, but you can start to really put together the calendar for the bizarre offseason that looks to be the NHL's offseason. Let's just say that everything does go forward, and July 10th training camp, late July, early August, is when the puck drops on a restart of the season, and we go until October for when a Stanley Cup is handed out. Well, the announcement today that uh, they've agreed to extend contracts, and not even the announcement, but the report today from Elliott and Cap Friendly that uh, they've extended uh, the contracts until October 31st, Gives you a pretty good idea of what things look like. November 1st is when free agency day would be, uh, which by my math, Klein, would be four months later than normal. uh, July 1st to November 1st. I think that's correct math. And you kind of get the feel of, okay, if October 7th is the last date that a Stanley Cup could be given out, you have a good idea of buyout windows, of determining... Um, you know what play what players you're going to go forward with, and when an NHL draft might be. You can start to maybe slot in some of the in the balance critical dates that we don't know exactly what are going to look like right now. Yeah, and that's kind of what we're left doing right now, right? It's just kind of a ghost. Well, we calendar. get a couple. 
Yeah, we, we get a couple pieces of information and you, you try to, to just figure it. It's basically the way I do French, where you just pick out a couple keywords and then just try to make the rest of it make sense. It's basically what we're doing with the NHL calendar right now. Um, but no, it's I mean, it, it it's an important thing. Right. And I mean, for for our industry uh, in trying to figure out schedules normally um, for me anyway, taking July 1st off is a no, no, um, I I've never really had a conversation about trying to take November 1st off before. But uh, yeah, for for us trying to figure out schedules, it's important. And just for for fans and for players. I mean, some of these guys are going to be having to move in the dead of winter all of a sudden. It's it's going to be a tricky time, but it's nice to have at least some of these dates kind of figured out. And we'll see. I mean, nothing has been announced officially, but we do know the draft lottery is on Friday. And it sounds like if everything goes forward and we do see hockey this summer, that free agency will be November 1st. So get ready for a free agent frenzy November 1st. Sports Net 960, the fan. Uh, (laughs) That's kind of what we're talking about right now. It's uh, Pat Steinberg and Peter Klein along with you on this Monday. And hey, it comes down to a pair of defensemen for the Calder Trophy this year. So which one is it? Kale or Quinn? We continue our year-end award conversation next on Pender and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Golf season in Alberta. A little different this year for sure. Sportsnet 960 The Fan presents the Speargrass Golf Show, Tuesday mornings with Ryan Pinder. Each week, Ryan gets some great guests to talk golf. The pros, the amateurs, the weekend warriors, and some great tips on golf gear, and some real-life playing tips you can actually use. Who knows? Maybe, just maybe, some golf getaways. The Speargrass Golf Show, brought to you by Speargrass Golf Course. Calgary's most friendly and relaxed golf experience. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. CFAC 960 AM Sportsnet 960 The Fan Live from Calgary, Alberta, Canada Owned by Rogers Media Listen live anywhere at sportsnet.ca slash 960 Or on the Sportsnet app Trending right now in Calgary It's 3.02 Riley Pollock with you this afternoon The NHL is allowing practice groups to expand to 12 players on the ice at a time Starting tomorrow, Dak Prescott has signed the $31.4 million exclusive franchise tender offered to him by the Cowboys. The two sides now have until July 15th to work out an extension. The Raptors will head to Fort Myers, Florida to train to return for the remainder of the NBA season. It's being reported that most Raptors players are already in Florida or are on the way. And the MLBPA has gotten together today to vote on the 60-game proposal sent to them by the MLB. Pinder and Steinberg continues next on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg continues on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Kale McCarr or Quinn Hughes? Who should win the Calder Trophy this season? Welcome back to the program. Pat Steinberg, Peter Klein, along with you. Riley Pollock's on the ones and twos. Little no diggity on a Monday afternoon. Never gets old. Um, If I had a vote, and uh, we all know I don't, and Klein doesn't either. Neither of us are members of the Professional Hockey Writers Association. But if I did have a vote on the Calder Trophy, my number one vote would go to... And it's close! But it would go to Cal McCarr. Um, three fewer points than the guy that is 
kind of 1A, 1B with them. There's really only two candidates. They're both defensemen. Uh, Kale McCarr, former first-round pick of the Colorado Avalanche. Quinn Hughes, former first-round pick of the Vancouver Canucks. It is razor-thin the margin on this one, Kleiner. But uh, here's why I go McCarr. Three fewer points in 11 fewer games. 50 points in 57 games for a rookie is impressive. For a rookie defenseman, that is mind-boggling what we saw from McCarr during the regular season. And and what really pushed it over the top, this was not the, the biggest reason, but it was kind of the tiebreaker for me. Quinn Hughes has been a huge part of Vancouver being a, a team that has returned to playoff contention and been a team that gets to be part of the 2014 restart. But Kale McCarr has been an important part and a big-time offensive driver for one of the high-end teams in the NHL. Like, Colorado right now is looked by many as one of the upper echelon teams in the league. You talk about St. Louis, you talk about Washington, you talk about uh, Tampa Bay, you talk about Boston, and you talk about Colorado. And Kale McCarr has been a big part of what the Avalanche have done successfully this year. So, the the similarities in terms of points per game, very close. Analytically, they're almost identical. We talked a little bit about this during our Norris Trophy conversation, but both guys have gotten very... They, they've gotten sheltered minutes. They they haven't played the top shutdown role. They haven't played the top defensive num, uh, defensive type numbers, mainly because they're rookie defensemen. Of course, you're going to give them a little bit more of uh, an offensive high ground, especially the way these two guys play. Both guys are over 63% in terms of their offensive zone start. Um, so analytically, very similar. Points-wise, very similar. There's not a whole lot to choose from, but I lean slightly to Kale McCarr over Quinn Hughes. If I had a Calder Trophy vote, that's where it would go. One Hughes, uh, sorry, one McCarr, two Hughes. What about you? Yeah, I'm I'm the same, but it was like you said, so close. You go back and forth on it on the points and or just on, on everything. And I, I think a bit of it is Makar had similar production in in fewer games because of the injury and like the rest of it, like their their possession numbers are off by just like a percentage point and high danger chances, kind of the same. And yep. yeah, uh, like I I do think this will be a conversation we're having around a Norris Trophy at some point with Makar and Hughes. I think both these guys are that good but as we discussed in the Norris conversation I'm gonna need that offensive zone start to at least start with a five before we're getting into that both guys in the 60s is it's you don't see it a ton but with rookie defensemen you can certainly understand it but no I I go Makar um I can understand going with the the team thing a little bit I, I tend to not do that with all these that don't include the heart and even to a certain extent, try to limit it with the heart. But I mean, when, when you have two guys where they each check off, like it, it's, it's basically tied all the way through, you're basically getting to like the ninth tiebreaker with these two guys. Exactly. For, and that's why it broke the tie for me. It's like yeah. the one thing that maybe is a little like the pendulum swings a little bit more to one side. Right. Yeah. And, and Makar was second in scoring on a, a team that's going to be in that, final four round robin thingy that they're doing um, when the, the NHL restarts again. So like you, you can't, you, you can't question the importance of Kale McCarr on that team. And while he was sheltered, it, it's not like there were nothing but superstars around him. We discussed before uh, Colorado's issues with injuries this season. He was pretty 
he was relied upon quite a bit, um, especially from an offensive role to try to get some things going. And Quinn Hughes, again, I think the world of this kid and things in Vancouver really turning around when they let him kind of just quarterback the power play, which is mm-hmm. a lot of responsibility for a rookie to have. But I, I, I do think McCarr's impact just again, it, it kind of goes back to our uh, Mitch Marner debate that we had the other day. I just kind of think Makar was better. I, th- there isn't a number that super stands out. It's just, I don't know, I thought he was just a little bit better than the other dude, well, which and, is basically what it came down to me. And that's fair. Like, and, and, and like, <laughs> I, I, I saw, like, Quinn Hughes isn't, like, that. they nailed it with that draft pick. Like, Quinn Hughes, oh, of yeah. all, Elias, Pe- uh, a Elias, franchise player. Elias Pedersen won the Calder last year and deserved to. But I, I don't know when it's all said and done who's going to be more important in Vancouver's return to um, return to being competitive in a high-end team if, if they end up getting there. I, I don't know if it's going to be Pedersen or if it's going to be Hughes who's more important. Probably probably Pedersen just because he's the center, but the number one defenseman is pretty important too. So I, I, don't, I don't know how it ends up working and, and who ends up being the most important, but those two, and then you throw in you throw in Bo Horvat being a first round pick a little further back. You throw in Brock Besser being a first round pick. Like th- this team has has started to turn the corner based on a very impressive group of young players, and 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 Quinn Hughes is among the leaders of that group. So if he ends up winning, and if McCarr doesn't get the nod. There's no injustice because it is it is that close between the two. But I just yeah I I just think McCarr made such an impact on an elite team. It was a very yeah. you're right like you're down into like the nine ten eleven tie, tiebreaker when talking about this stuff. <laughs> but that did play a small small part in it for me as well. Yeah. Um. You take a look at the analytics. You're right. High danger scoring chances are very close. Possession numbers very close. Uh, Makar had a 63% offensive zone start. Hughes had a 64.4%. So basically, we're talking about just under two-thirds of the time they're starting in the offensive zone as opposed to the defensive zone, which is smart coaching by both Travis Green and Jared Bednar. You have a rookie defenseman. They're both in there, what, Makar's 20 and uh, and Quinn Hughes is 20, however old they are. Like, yeah, usually you um, give those guys a little bit of high ground. 20 years old for uh, Quinn Hughes, yeah, you're probably going to let that guy have a, a little bit of the offensive high ground. And 21 years old for McCarr, probably the same thing. And here's the, the other thing that's, and, and you don't really take it into consideration, or you, you try not to take it into consideration, but the, the, the final thing for me, Klein, is the fact that Kale McCarr stepped into a playoff series last year, stepped into a postseason last year, and looked like an impact maker right off the get-go. Like, he jumped into that series against the Flames and looked like he belonged in the NHL immediately. And he he gave the Avalanche another leg up as they rolled the Flames in five and then pushed the Sharks in seven in the next round. Like, Kale McCarr didn't even blink an eye and looked like an NHL defenseman at the hardest, most important time of year. I know that you are supposed to only take into account the regular season, but it would be hard not to have that factor in somewhere, even if it's an unintentional bias. Yeah, I mean, McCarr stepped on the ice and was one of the best players every time he was out there. Now, there wasn't a ton of resistance to that crown from the flame side, but still he, he was excellent in, in that series with the flames. And then likewise against San Jose. And I mean, if we're projecting these two, I'm probably like, if we're doing a 
rookie of the year redraft, um, I'm, I'm probably taking Makar ahead of Hughes as well. Like, but again, I think um, Kale versus Quinn is going to be a debate that we're having for for Norris trophies for a little bit. Um, did you did you even bother picking a third, or did did you go did you did you stick to the process and pick a third place vote? I did because I think he deserves a little bit of love. I don't think he's in the same category just because of how good these two have been and how important they've been to their teams. But Dominic Kubalik scored thirty in Chicago yeah. as a rookie. And and I, I think that he deserves to be like by being named a finalist, it's a nice it's a nice little feather in the cap. It doesn't mean anything. You don't have that engraved on your hockey hall of fame um little square, and I forget what they're called. Uh plaque. plaque. Uh you don't have that engraved. but you know, it's probably not gonna be on your square. wick square. It it is a it's <laughs> more of a rectangle. Yeah. Uh not all not all rectangles are squares, but all squares are rectangles, Klein. I don't know if you knew this. Um, but oh, that's deep. it's not going to be on his Wikipedia page necessarily that he was a finalist. It might be. I don't yeah. know. But I just think it's a nice feather in the cap and a nice recognition. Dominic Kubelik had a hell of a year. 30 goals as a rookie on a Blackhawks team that has seen a lot of guys leave, a lot of their biggest offensive players leave due to contracts and, and cap management, so on and so forth. For this guy to jump in and and score 30 in his rookie season is pretty darn impressive. So I, I think he deserves a little bit of love. Yeah, I, I went with Kubalik as well. I, I don't I couldn't even tell you who I had fourth. Uh but I no, think Adam he, like, Fox if, has an interesting uh an interesting case to be made yeah, as well. Yeah, no, that's that's fair. Um, but no, for, for Kuba League, like 30 goals on a Blackhawks team that desperately needed that sort of production from a, from a rookie. And while they probably weren't going to make a charge toward the Stanley Cup playoffs, I mean, Kuba League is certainly a reason why Chicago is still going to be hanging around in this thing and is going to be a player that the Oilers at least have to pay attention to if and when that series gets going next month. So it's it's an impressive return for him i believe a seventh round pick after going back and, and redoing those drafts and just an absolute scoring machine for the chicago blackhawks who yes deserves one day to have it on his wikipedia page that he finished about 400 points shy of kale mccarr and quinn hughes in the rookie of the year voting a former seventh round pick of the la kings going back to 2013 uh traded from los angeles to chicago for a round five pick in the 2019 draft the LA Kings, Ooh. the most offensively starved team in the NHL, yeah. traded Kubalik, who scored 30 this year. Uh, they traded him for a fifth-round pick at last year's draft. Wrap your head around that one. Now, again, projection is a fool's errand, and you know the, the, him him playing on, on a team that's got uh, players like Kane and Taves, so on and so forth on it, that helps. But still, this guy, this guy obviously can score. This guy, obvi- he, he was coming off a very good year uh, playing in the Swiss League. He's put up good numbers as a younger man playing against older men in the Czech League before. So th- people knew this guy had offensive talent, and the Kings traded him for a fifth-round pick. Yuck. Uh, the only yeah. guy, like, Victor Olofsson, he scored 20 in Buffalo. I, I gave him a little consideration. Adam Fox had a pretty good year. He's, he's another defenseman. Not in the same conversation as, as Hughes or Makar, but another good year. But for me, you score 30. That's an accomplishment. You score 30 as a rookie. You deserve, you deserve some love for that. 
Yeah, no, I agree. And yeah, I, I remember Victor Olofsson was on just a heater to start the season and uh, kind of it, it slowed down a little bit toward the end. But that, that was someone who had uh, an impact on a Buffalo team that was just desperate for anyone to make an impact in, in Buffalo. But what weren't like I, I have I'm trying to look it up quickly while we're doing this. Didn't he score like 15 of those goals on the power play? Like he was just a power play scoring machine for the Sabres. So maybe deserves some honorable mention, but it's not close to what Kubalik was doing. And I believe uh, another seventh round pick is Victor Olofsson. Uh, it's like, oh, apparently, uh, apparently you get uh, taken in the seventh round. You turn into a scoring machine on a yeah. bubble playoff team. Uh, by the way, um, in terms of players that Kubalik spent most of his time with, um, you know, it's, it's not like he was fed a ton of time with, uh, with Patrick Kane this year. Like he was at even strength. He was playing with David Kampf and, and Brandon sod more than anybody else. It's not like noted playmakers. Exactly. Sure. Jonathan Taves <laughs> is his most like is his most frequent center, which is, is important. And, and Taves remains an elevator. He may not be the, the guy he once was, but he's still a hell of a hockey player and he still elevates guys around him. So playing with Taves certainly helps. Don't get me wrong, but he still scored 30, and you still have to score 30 to be a 30-goal scorer. There's another deep uh, Steinberg thought for you today. Oh, so You and your fancy stats. Uh, <laughs> I just looked it up. Uh, Victor Olofsson, uh, 11 power play goals of the 20 that he scored this yeah. season. Uh, here are some of the texts on this conversation. Both Klein and I go McCarr for the Calder Trophy if we were to have a vote. Uh, this, a dissenting opinion, and, and well said. I don't think the Canucks are close to making the playoffs without Hughes. The Avalanche are in without Makar. Therefore, Hughes should win Rookie of the Year. Um, it's not most valuable rookie, though. It's it's best rookie. And if we're doing most valuable rookie, then uh, it may not be all that close with Quinn, Quinn Hughes getting it. But we're, we're here to celebrate the, the rookie that played the best this season. And so I just I, I don't I don't look at it that way. Mike writes, could McCarr be the first 100-point defenseman since Brian Leach in 1992? He's, like, he is an offensive dynamo. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know if... And when, that team's, when that team's going, man, like... Well, ooh. when you've got a power play with McKinnon, Landeskog, Ranton, and, and then you put Gerard and McCarr on your points, it's like, whew, uh, yeah. like that's, that's, that's hard to contend with. You could sub me out for Mc or for uh, for Gerard, and we're still clicking at like twenty three percent on that power play. What what would your key be? Just uh, you, you're just gonna be the, the the safety valve. Strong net front. Strong. Oh, you'll uh, be you'll just, be strong net. Yeah. You think that you could take um? You think you could take a bunch of cross checks in front of the net from some of the hardest nosed penalty killers in the league? Uh, I think I've been watching pro wrestling for a lot of my life and could embellish a little bit and draw a few five on threes on this. Okay. So okay. I, I think that I think, and I mean, my, my six foot four, 260 ish pound frame that blocks out a lot of sunlight. I'm just saying. Fair, fair. Uh, Makar. And that's the straight facts. He was on a monster heater to start the year. If he didn't get injured, it wouldn't be close. Hughes is sheltered and it just has to be Makar. Can't be anyone else. And then this one reads, no love for Giriyanov. Hey, I get it. Numbers aren't as impressive, but after a slow start, he got far, far better as the year went on. Yeah, and, and I think Giriyanov's a hell of a player. Like I, I really think that they found something there. I just don't think that you can put him in the rookie of the year category based on, you know, not an entire year. He 29 points in 64 games. I, I just don't think the number, he was certainly becoming more and more of a contributor in Dallas as the year went along. 
And I think that's another really savvy pick the Stars have made and, and a player that's going to help them going forward. I just don't think he's in the best rookie over the full season conversation right now. And and that's where Hughes and Makar and, and even Kubalik are. They've had far better full seasons. Not to say Garyanov's not a good rookie, but as you said, it's best rookie in the league this year, and that encompasses all of the however many games each team played. So. That's where I, I do like the, the Garyanov shout. Like he turned into one of my favorite players to watch as this season was going on. I I like him a lot, and I I just have an irrational love for that Dallas team. I don't know what it is. There's just like half of their team are just like my guys type of guys. So um, I, I like Garyanov a lot, but he's um, I don't think he's close to sniffing this conversation. Yeah. He probably a couple of rookie of the weeks in there maybe, but uh, I, I I just don't know if the full body of work was enough. Uh, let me ask you this. You and Logo did your uh, your first and second All-Star teams on Friday, correct? Uh, that is correct, sir, yes. So I, I was like, I like that idea. It continues our theme on the year-end awards. So I'd like to get on to that. And I just want to see how close, how, first of all, I know the answer because I listened to the segment, but because um, it was put online, but how close were you and Logo uh, when it was all said and done? How much divergence did you have on your two All-Star squads? Uh, we had uh, we had a little bit of um, divergence, certainly at the uh, the center position. Um, I believe he and I agreed on the the goalie spot, but uh, Riley came off the top rope with a couple others. But okay. um, yeah, there, there was it was relatively similar, but uh, enough difference to to have some pretty good discussions on things. Riley's like the Ray Mysterio Jr. off the top rope. Oh, he is. Right? Yes, totally. Little Hoventude Guerrera in little, there. Little ball of hate. There's a Riley Hurricane Rana. Who boy. Little ball of hate, Riley Pollock. Uh, okay, here's what I've got. Uh, tell me how, um, if there was a lot of divergence in my first team All-Stars compared to what you guys went with. Uh, I went dry saddle at center uh, on my first team All-Star uh, just because, hey, we're talking about All-Stars, not necessarily um, the, the Hart Trophy conversation is a little bit different than first team All-Stars. So I went dry saddle at center, Panarin on the left, Pasternak on the right, John Carlson, Roman Yossi on the blue line, Connor Hellebuck in net. That would be my first team All-Stars. We are very similar aside from I, I put my Hart Trophy winner, Nathan McKinnon, uh, down the middle for first team w- with Leon Dreisaitl. Again, all the things I said about McKinnon in the, the Hart debate ring true now, um, just with the 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 injuries around him to still put up that type of a, a monster season, uh, I went with uh, I went with him over Dreisaitl. I just... The Hart Trophy, they they need to figure that out. They need to change the the nomenclature of the Hart Trophy because it confuses everybody. He's a most valuable player to his team. They, are they ever just going to name it the MVP of the league because, or or the best player in the league or or the best season? Because if that's the case, then you know there's there's a whole lot less debate on it. Um, and so I because of the wording of the Hart Trophy. I look at the Hart Trophy differently than I do the first-team All-Stars. Leon Dreisaitl had 110 points, 13 more than the next highest scorer in the league. I think he deserves to be the number one center or, or the first-team All-Star center, but I don't necessarily believe that he should get the Hart Trophy just straight up over Nathan McKinnon because the definitions of the two things are different. So th- that's why... And for some people, they're not. For some people, they are. And that's why they need to change the wording of the Hart Trophy so there's less gray area in this whole thing. That's another, another conversation. And this is why I love you, Pat, because I had the exact same argument and had Dry Seidel as my number one. 
So you had Drysaddle yeah. as your one C, but also would have gone McKinnon for the heart. Correct. Yeah, and and yeah, I believe I, I believe I was on McKinnon Island with this one. Um, I, I think Logo went the same with Drysaddle at center. Now, I'm curious as to where everybody was. So you went McKinnon for your one center and Drysaddle for your number two All Star center. Yes. Okay. So if if Logo Riles and I all had Drysaddle as our two, uh, as our one C, where did everybody go for their two C? Because You've got McKinnon and you've got McDavid. I went McKinnon, which means McDavid doesn't even show up on my all-star team, which is bonkers. Um, but I went Drysaddle as my first all-star center and, and McKinnon is my second. So how did everybody else go? Uh, everyone went the exact same. There, there was so no, there was no McDavid, which is no insane. McDavid. He's the yeah. second leading scorer in the league, and yet he's getting left off this all-star team. And, and, and I'm not even saying that's wrong. It just is, it shows you how good things were up and down the middle this year. Yeah, well, and it's it's one of those ones where if you just got to pick six forwards, like Connor McDavid is a hundred percent making it. Like if it's in instead of center, left wing, right wing, right, it's forward, forward, forward. Then McDavid, like the first team, is probably just all centers. Right? I mean, you could make some arguments in there, but like the the first, it'd be close to having all centers on your your first team. It's just when there are three elite centers, one of them's going to get left uh, left off the list. Uh, Carlson Yossi, everybody had that as their D pair. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and what about the goaltender? I went Hellebuck. I also went Hellebuck. Riley? I went Tuka Rask. I have Rask as my second team all-star goalie. The only reason I go Hellebuck over Rask is because there was, what, a 17-game disparity in terms of how much they played. And not to say Rask wasn't important. Rask was probably the best goalie in the NHL this year. He played 40. He started uh, in the 40 range, and uh, and Hellebuck was closer to 60 when it was all said and done. Um, and so I went. I just decided to go with Hellebuck because I think there was he was just a just based on the body of work and how much he played, just a little bit more impressive because of that. Not to take anything away from how impressive – Rask was, but 56 starts for Hellebuck and 41 for Rask. So a 15-game disparity and a 0.7% variance in their save percentages. So I, I went Hellebuck as my number one and Rask as my number two, but the, there's very little to choose between them. Here's my uh, the rest of my second All-Star team. So I went Panarin as my first All-Star left wing and Brad Marchand as my second. Uh, McKinnon as my two center. Uh, Nikita Kucherov as my number two right wing. And then the number two D, uh, Victor Hedman and Shea Theodore were the two that I went with there. How uh, how different was that from the second All-Star choices? Uh, my, my second one, uh, I believe, again, I was uh, alone with Alex Ovechkin. Um, I had as the left as well. You had Ovi okay. over Marshawn? Okay, that... Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, it was... It was Logo who had Marshawn um, instead of Ovechkin. You're right. I, I have terrible printing, and I'm trying to read all of these, and it's just <laughs> you a nightmare. You do have um, the world's oh, worst printing. And mine I is even, bad. Yours looks like you are writing on, like you're writing in the midst of a turbulent takeoff on an airplane. I'm like, I, yeah. I don't know how you, how do you read your own writing? And apparently you can't. I've got some of the worst printing in the history of mankind. I look like a world-renowned calligrapher compared compared to you. You are, in, it's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, no, it, it looks like I'm writing with my wrong hand during an earthquake. It's, it, it is It looks bad. like and you're just learning how to print in, in, <laughs> in like primary school. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a rough go. So I'm I'm having a bit of a why bit do of a your time. R's look like Q's? Like what is going on? 
the numbers are just as bad. Uh, but no, I I went Ovechkin over uh, over Marchand. <laughs> I, I just you look at uh, again an elite scoring season for Alex Ovechkin. Um, it probably shouldn't matter that he was on the path to history, but I don't think you can tell the story of the season without talking about Alex Ovechkin and his push for historic goal totals, passing hall of famer after hall of famer. So I, I went Ovechkin over, over Brad Marchand. I was with you on Nikita Kucherov and Victor Hedman. Uh, and much like we, we disagreed for third for the, the Norris. Uh, I went uh, Petrangelo instead of, uh, of Shea Theodore. I really like the season. I, I might be on an island when it comes to how good I think Theodore was this year, but um, I, I think he's had a hell of a year, so I, I wanted to give him a little bit of love there. Um, and by the way, like in what? Like the, the 1920s and the 1930s where pitchers pitched like every second day, uh, Alex Ovechkin would have been a Cy Young winner in the 1930s. 48-19. <laughs> <Yeah>. Like 48 <laughs> goals, 19 assists. And that's... That's extreme, even for Ovechkin. Like, well, and how many how many of those nineteen are clappers that just blasted in off of someone? Like, like uh, how or many of those rebound? Are straight, yeah, how many of those are straight passes, and how many of those are he just fired it in off of a guy's skate? I'm I'm going to look like he the the last time the the last time he scored fifty was last year. He went fifty one and thirty eight. Prior before that, he went fifty and twenty one and fifteen and sixteen. Um, the year that he scored 60, he went 65 and 47. Like he was on pace to have the lowest assists in his career this year. Uh, and, uh, still ended up with 48 goals. And I think you make a very compelling case for Ovechkin being part of that. That was fun. Uh, we'll continue our year end awards as the week goes along. Plus more of our flames year end awards as the regular season is deemed complete. Okay. It will almost certainly be a good hall of fame day for the flames on Wednesday, but how good will it be? We're chatting with Ryan Pike. Our regular Monday chat with Ryan at flames nation is coming up next on Pinder and Steinberg here on Sportsnet 960. The fan Pinder and Steinberg Calgary Sports Talk in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Mondays, we speak with Ryan Pike at flamesnation.ca. Actually, uh, I believe, Mr. Pike, we're going to talk a couple of times this week, but I'll uh, tell the people why about that a little bit later on. First of all, how are you on this Monday afternoon? I- I'm excellent. It's not actively raining, and, you know, it's it's fairly nice out. It's uh it's it's not quite an Edmonton summer based on some videos we saw, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's a pretty good uh, good day in Calgary. Okay, now you have to explain what you mean by that for those who don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so, uh, folks, uh, if you've been on Twitter, I, I encourage you to go to Jason Kenny's Twitter account because uh, our friends in Edmonton are uh, lobbying to become one of the two hub cities uh, when the NHL restarts, and their promotional video features – a series of clips of places that aren't in Edmonton, uh, including Banff, Lake Louise. Uh, it, it's it's something to behold. It's up there with uh, experience Regina in terms of things that just make you giggle for reasons that you probably shouldn't be uh, giggling about. <laughs> I haven't seen them. Like, I haven't seen the actual videos yet, but I've just seen people on Twitter reacting. Like, oh, no, I, this is going to have to be something I look at uh, after the show is done. For the record, as much as we like to play up the Calgary-Edmonton rivalry, I would really like to see Edmonton uh, be one of the hub cities. Uh, I think they've got a great setup. Um, Do we like to make fun of uh, the ugliness of Edmonton sometimes? Yes, that's a lot of shtick. There are a lot, I I believe, 
and and this won't be involved in where they are, but I believe that the uh, White Edmonton, Old Strathcona University area is one of the nicest areas in Canada, one of the coolest, most eclectic areas in Canada. They got a beautiful river valley. I, I do. There's lots of good things about Edmonton. Shh. I just don't ever tell anybody I said that. Um, but I and I also think I also think that Edmonton being a hub city is good for our province. It's another example of how good we've done as a province. Calgary, Edmonton, and the rest of the cities and towns in this province of um, of really tackling this thing, of mitigating it, of keeping our hospitalizations low, all of it. Uh, and I think that's just another example as to how good a job as a province we've done. I think it'll be good economically for us as a province. So I I want Edmonton to be a hub city. But I hear that the videos are a little comical. Well, you you said in there that um, part of Edmonton's draw are places that uh, NHL players won't see. And if you like that, you will love the video that Jason Kenny posted because there isn't a lick of that that any of the NHL players will get to experience. But I, I digress. So you've seen them, Clint? Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. Um. Well, uh, moving on, and we will get back to uh, restart issues and, and such in a second. But I did want to, uh, we, we kicked off the program today, Ryan, by, you know, I gave a pretty impassioned uh, speech as to why I believe Theron Fleury should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame and why I believe Wednesday the Hall has an opportunity to right a wrong. But before we get to that, um, and before we get to all of the uh, conversation about Fleury, there's there's no way that Aginla doesn't get voted on on Wednesday, right? Like he's almost an absolute lock to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, is he not? Well, okay, let's just very quickly hear the names of players who have scored more National Hockey League goals than, than Jerome Aginla: Wayne Gretzky, Gordy Howe, Yarmy Yager, Brett Hull, Marcel Dion, Phil Esposito, Mike Gardner, Alex Ovechkin, Mark Messier, Steve Eiserman, Mario Lemieux, Timo Solani, Luke Robitaille, Brendan Shanahan, and Dave Anderchuk. And he's tied with Joe Sackett. Uh, of those players, Yager is not in the Hall of Fame yet because he's still playing. Same with Ovechkin. Everyone else is in the Hall. He has 600 goals. He has 1,300 points. Uh, he, he's a historically significant player on multiple levels. Uh, you know, it, it's, this is the old-fashioned, the, the, the blind squirrel scenario where there's no, there's no way he doesn't get in. He's just – he's – if you if you were trying to develop a hockey player in a lab and try to come up with the tributes on and off the ice that you want him to have, you you try to create Jerome McGinley. So uh, yeah, it'll it'll be everyone try to act surprised on Wednesday. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's not a done deal. They still they're meeting tomorrow on Wednesday, so you know everyone there might be a gas leak or something. And everyone might get all all goofy, but uh, yeah, barring barring you know insanity, he he's getting it. Okay, so with that being said, how uh, how do we make it so that Theron Fleury gets into the Hockey Hall of Fame as well? You've actually been writing over at Flames Nation lots on on these things, and you've done articles on the case for other Flames players to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. I just don't know. Like you've done one on Mike Vernon, you've done one, uh, I believe, today on Hoken Lube, and I want to get to those in just a second. But you also did one on Theron Fleury. I I just of of guys who are not in the Hall right now. There are very few that have better cases than Theron Fleury, and and maybe Jerome Ginla does, or maybe you believe that Marion Hosa does, or whatever. But it's not like they're definitively cut and dried better than Theron Fleury's case for the Hockey Hall of Fame. Everything that he did playing this game internationally in the NHL suggests that he should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yet I will still be stunned, unfortunately stunned, if if his name is called for what the eleventh year of eligibility on Wednesday. 
Yeah, and and you know, I think you know, let, let's be honest. Like Theron, Theron Fleury is an easy player to love, but a hard play, person to like. Uh, you know, as as a player, he's exceptional. He was a small man when it was exceptionally difficult to be a small man. Uh, you know, he frequently had to scrap in the corners. He had, you know, defensemen basically water skiing behind him with their, with you know, hooking him. You know, he played in the obstruction era and he managed to be a point per game player in arguably the toughest, you know, the toughest time in hockey, the 90s, to actually generate points. So, you know, if you're just looking in terms of his production, I mean, you know, he 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 was able to do so many things despite, as we found out in his 2009 book being just absolutely wrecked with off ice issues. I mean, there's no way he was imagine like we, we get this a lot when we talk about, you know, Mike Bossy's a, a common one because you know, he was fantastic. and His back was wrecked up for pretty much his entire career. And he had to retire early. Imagine how good flurry could have been had he had his head on straight. And, you know, he's, is he an easy person to like? Well, not really. I mean, he, you know, if, if folks who are familiar with the television show, the wire, you know, Jimmy McNulty is one of the most fascinating characters in fiction, and he's just an absolute horror show of a person, but he's just a good detective. You know, Ty Cobb, if you go to Major League Baseball, was just a garbage pile of a human being and, and an unrepentant racist, but one of the best hockey or one of the best baseball players in, in history. If you look at the Hall of Fame now, I mean, it's not the Hall of Nice Guys. There's a ton of people in the Hall of Fame right now with worse numbers than Flurry and serious, serious character defects. I think the, the the thing with Flurry is, I mean, he's come through the social media era and, you know, I think we know a lot more about him as a person, as a personality and as a player uh, and a lot of his demons than we probably would have known about any other player in any other era. And I think on a certain level that might hurt his candidacy because it makes it a little bit tougher to finesse the PR of him going in. But if you're just looking in terms of, you know, we want to have the best, you know, however many people who ever played the sport in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he was an exceptional pro. He was a great amateur. He was great internationally. I mean, he's he's been in so many, you know, historically significant moments in Canadian and international and NHL history. That it'd be a shame if, you know, the fact that he's kind of a jerk sometimes would get in the way of him getting his rightful recognition. In terms of other flames who who might be in this discussion, obviously it's it's Aginla and Flurry, and then there there is a bit of a drop. But are there any other flames or, or former flames, I guess former flames who should be in these kind of discussions? I'm a big Hawk and Lube guy. I know I'm preaching to the to the choir here with you and Pat, but you know Lube, he you know I look at the comparison I made in the piece I wrote was sort of Sergey Makarov, where Sergey Makarov was a fantastic player in Russia, and then he came over here, played seven years, was really good for a couple of seven years. But you can make an argument that Lube was better in the NHL than uh, than Makarov was, uh, and you know and. You can make an argument that he was equally as important to Swedish hockey and the development of Swedish hockey, both when he was a player and since he's retired, as Makarov has been to, to Russian hockey. I mean, you know, uh, you know, Makarov was part of that famous KLM line with uh, Krutov and Larionov. And, you know, that team, the Red Army, was an absolute, like, it was the Harlem Globetrotters of, of hockey at that point. And, you know, Lube was a fantastic pro in Sweden, a fantastic pro here. And you can make a good case that, you know, during his, his Swedish uh, pro time, he didn't have the same cast of characters, you know, having his back that, that Makarov had. Yet he still posted incredible numbers. And he, you know, first, one of the first members of the Triple Gold Club, won Olympic gold, won a Stanley Cup, 
uh, first uh, Swedish player to score 50 goals. I mean, it's basically him and Bjorn uh, Salman in terms of the the first two or three really excellent Swedish imports, and they you know, they paved the way for a lot of guys to come over here and be successful. So, you know, if if you're one of those people who you know like me goes, well, it's not the NHL Hall of Fame, it's the Hockey Hall of mm-hmm. Fame. It's about it's supposed to be a broader Hall of Fame to capture excellence in the sport as a whole. I think you know Lube is a, a, a slam dunk. And I'm a, I'm a big Mike Vernon guy too. I mean, I grew up here, you know, he, he's a great story. He's, you know, I think he had the challenge of, you know, Grant Fuhrer and Billy Smith both had arguably worse numbers than Vernon did in the regular season, but they had more playoff success possibly in part because they had those powerhouse Oiler and Islander teams playing in front of them. Uh, but Vernon, if, even if you, you know, ignore that difference, Vernon's numbers are very, very compatible with the guys who are already in the hall. What about a, a Mika Kiprasov, uh, a pretty elite level goalie, but maybe not for quite as long as uh, some other Hall of Famers? I find his case to be a little interesting. Yeah, and I think I think Flurry or not Flurry, uh, I think uh, Kiprasov sort of suffers a bit because he didn't have a really prolonged run of excellence. He got started a little bit late, so his body of work isn't quite as good. And you know, let's not disparage the local hockey heroes, but you know. From 2004 until you know Kiprasov retired, they weren't exactly setting the world on fire in the postseason. And I think the fact he didn't have that kind of, of success in the postseason definitely hurts him. But you know he he you know he got hardware internationally. He got hardware as an amateur. You know he's one of those guys that seemed to get better and better as he aged until you know that last year when he just sort of fell off the cliff. But you know he's he's definitely going to be in the mix for a while. But it's weird because the Hall of Fame is a tough tough place to get in normally, and it's just, it's especially tough for goalies to get in. So uh, he might have to wait a little bit longer. But I can't imagine he, he'll wait forever. Ryan Pike's with us from FlamesNation.ca joins us Mondays here on the program. Um, and kind of on the the same note, it's funny Jerome McGinley will not be a part of this conversation because he was an original Dallas Stars draft pick, but. We, uh, over at Flames Nation, and I believe they're doing this up at Oilers Nation as well, um, we've kind of uh, come together, and, and it's a project that's going to uh, drop at some point this week, the all-drafted teams. Uh, and and you and I have, have kind of done this exercise at Flames Nation, and we've submitted our all-drafted team, uh, basically four lines, three pairings, two goalies of players drafted by the Calgary and Atlanta Flames. So Mark Giordano, Jerome McGinley, Jamie McCown, um, some of the Robin Regeer, some of the the very, very strong Calgary Flames in recent years do not count because none of those guys were drafted by the Flames. Whereas, you know, there's some interesting names that were drafted by the Flames, like Brett Hull, who who do count for this thing. Um, we, we're not going to give anything away, and we're going to bring you on and do a little bit of a, a bigger, deeper dive into this later this week. But give us a little bit of a preview of the all-drafted team. Well, you and I discussed this uh, over the weekend. We both have some some interesting names sort of in our bottom sixes because, I mean, you know, I, I don't think it's a, a spoiler to tell everyone, you know, guys like Flurry and Gaudreau and Gary Roberts are, are in our mix. You know, I think you and I have the same six defensemen. We'll get into that later. But, uh, you know, but just in terms of, you know, guys like, uh, you know, I, ha- I have, uh, for, for those folks who really love old school flames, I have uh, Tom Lysiak and Willie Pled on my team. They were fantastic players for the Atlanta Flames and uh, the Calgary Flames when they, you know, first moved to Calgary. And you know, the with those guys on the roster, they won three playoff rounds in 1981 and almost made it to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, but there's a lot of interesting names because I think the challenge is, you know, 
for, you know, we joke that, you know, it's going to be tough for a lot of players to fit in on any roster, but, you know, the Flames very quietly were excellent at drafting centers for a while. I mean, you know, you got Neuendijk, you got Stillman, you got, you know, uh, Kent Nilsson was a center for most of his career, Michael Backlund, Lysiak, Gish Winard. I mean, there's a lot of good centers who've come through Calgary, you know, even some that that didn't stay here too long, but, you know, a lot of good guys like that. And, you know, those are some of the ones. And I think the, the challenge is, you know, you and I were joking with this over the weekend, you know, after Mike Vernon, who's your second goalie? Because you can, you can go in so many different directions with a second goalie in part because the flames have had challenges developing and drafting goalies arguably through their entire duration of, as a franchise. They've been very good at finding them from other teams, but they have challenges developing their own. But, you know, there, there is a lot of different types of goalies and contenders you can go with for your second goalie. Yeah, there really are. Um, and really, when it comes down to it, there's really only two choices. But we'll, I don't, I don't want to spoil too much. We'll do that later on this week. Um, I, I did want to get your thoughts on, I think, a somewhat significant piece of news today from the NHL and the PA. Both sides have agreed that because of the situation that we're living in right now and because the season, if it does get finished, isn't going to finish until the summer or fall, or we know the fall is when it would finish. There's been an extension today on contracts. October 31st is now when standard player contracts will expire as opposed to June 30th, which is significant, although not totally unexpected, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, the nice thing is it sort of formalizes a lot of things that we were kind of guessing before because, you know, I, I'm pretty sure everyone, you know, as soon as you hear like, okay, so they're doing training camps July, July 10th. So let's work backwards from there and figure out how this is going to work. And then everyone's been trying to do the math. And, you know, n- now I think we're a step closer to having the, you know, the significant dates calendar nailed down and a step closer to having a lot of different things nailed down. I mean, for example, now, you know, if, if you're the Calgary Flames, for example, maybe they have some expiring contracts in their front office. So then they can go out and say, okay, well, you know, we're, we're going to be doing business until at least the end of October. So let's figure something out there. So I think this kind of thing gives teams clarity in terms of their players, but it also gives them clarity in terms of figuring out their off ice business and figuring out how to staff up for what looks like will be probably a October ish draft. You know, maybe, maybe we'll have a draft around Thanksgiving. That could be cool. But at least now we know, instead of sort of having to guess and go, mm. uh, Maybe it'll be December, October. So, you know, it's we, we've joked before that they're sort of going a step at a time in terms of figuring out, okay, what do we need to do? But this week it seems we're going to get some more clarity about uh, the hub cities. So once they have that nailed down, you're able to nail down exact logistics for camps. You're able to nail down logistics for preseason games. The actual, you know, figure out an actual game schedule, you know, in terms of, what time are Flames games going to be at, for example? Are, yeah. are they going to be doing, like, realistically, if you're, what is it, uh, 12 teams, 12 teams, you're probably going to stagger some games a bit. So we could have, like, four games a day. So, you know, we could be covering games at weird yeah, times. So th- these are the types of things they're nailing down, and these are the types of things that, you know, as they do, I think everyone sort of, you know, this this whole hub thing becomes less of sort of a, you know, a pie in the sky, you know, harebrained scheme and becomes more and more an actual plan that you can get people on side with. I mean, think about it. I mean, you could have six games, two hub cities, three games a day. Like I could easily see them doing six games in one day. Now there are, you know, what if there's a game that goes into triple overtime? There are some things that still need to be figured out logistic wise, but that'll be very interesting to see how, uh, how things all play out. Um, 
on, on that same front, so to, to bring it locally, unrestricted, pending unrestricted free agents on the Flames, Travis Hamannick, TJ Brody, Eric Gustafson, guys like that, we now know that their contracts will extend until October 31st. So that's how they will continue play despite being pending UFAs. But I, I wonder, like, put yourself in, in the shoes of a Hamannick or a Brody and you're going into an unrestricted free agency. And I think that we all thought that there's a chance those guys would, would get some interest in, and be sought after in free agency. But now you're going into this completely uncharted, unprecedented restart. And who knows what the injury concerns are going to be after being off for essentially five months. So I, I wonder if guys in, in the position of Hamannick or Brody might decide to sign something short-term now so that they've got peace of mind going into this offseason so that, you know, all of a sudden if, if Hamannick does suffer some sort of injury in this restart, it doesn't all of a sudden mess with his free agent year and now all of a sudden he's forced with taking a PTO for next year. I, I wonder if we see that, whether it be the Flames guys in question or just a, a little bit more league-wide. Yeah, I think between what we're all expecting to be a flat salary cap, at the very least for a few seasons, there's going to be less money in the system than everyone anticipated. And I think, you know, one of the things from a player standpoint, I mean, you know, uh, Travis Hamannick has sort of curved out, you know, he's got a family, he's got, you know, some commitments and such. Uh, I, I can't imagine what it'd be like going into free agency in this kind of a, a weird situation and maybe having to move cities. So I could see, I could see, I think league wide, I think unless there's a situation where teams are very much of the mindset of, we want to shake up our group. We want to make big, you know, some sweeping changes. I think you're going to see a lot of guys in Brody and Hamnick situation, thinking long and hard about sort of taking a, a one year deal in a place they already know and already like, and then punting for a year on that kind of UFA mm-hmm. decision because, you know, there's so many unknowns swirling around, you know, on and off the ice that I think, you know, for everyone's peace of mind, I think it's a very compelling and a very, you know, uh, tantalizing scenario just to sort of stick where you are for the short term and then use the short term to figure out what the rest of it's going to look like. What, uh, what else is kicking on Flames Nation, my friend? Well, I got a spoiler for everybody. Uh, there's a Jerome Ginla related one game wonder coming on Wednesday morning. Uh, you all can probably guess who it is, but uh, I'll save that for a, a small surprise on Wednesday. Uh, but the rest of it, you know, we're going to have, you know, it's going to be a, a fun week because, you know, Wednesday is the, the Hall of Fame induction announcement. And following that, you know, it's, we're going to be able to sort of find out what the rest of the class looks like and, you know, hopefully hear from, uh, you know, there's obviously going to be a lot of media being done. But we're hopefully going to hear from Jerome McGinley and, you know, the other inductees and sort of figure out, you know, okay, cool. Here's what the Hall of Fame class looks like. Who's left for for next year? Because you know this was the type of year where you sort of had the you know the one shining star that you go that guy's definitely going to get in, and then some question marks. So you know based on who doesn't get in, who's left for next year? Good stuff, my friend. We will uh, talk later this week when we dive into that all drafted team. Appreciate it, Piker. Hey, buddy. It's Ryan Pike on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline now open for limited dine-in service with all safety precautions in place. Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, the best pizza, pasta, steaks, and ribs since 1975 at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. It is a Monday edition of Pinder and Steinberg rolling on around the corner here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Wildcard Wednesday in just a few minutes. So, Kleiner, tell me a little bit more. I just watched this video uh, that our, our premier Jason Kenny posted 
pumping Edmonton and, and another kind of like, hey, NHL, let's make Edmonton a hub city. Here's why. I I honestly I don't I I get what they're doing. I mean, they're selling what Alberta has to offer, and and if you uh, go read Ryan Rashog on Twitter, he's got some uh, good information about what Edmonton's pitch looks like and some of the things that that could be on offer for NHL teams as a hub city bubble would play out. Uh, I I I get it that you know they're showing lots of things that aren't necessarily in Edmonton, but you know, showing Jasper and showing the Rocky Mountains and showing golf courses, I I I don't have a problem with. It. I I don't I I don't necessarily think it's the um the the prime breeding ground for making fun. And and maybe it's because I want Edmonton. I I think it would be big for our province. And look, yes, I'm a Calgarian and I love to make fun of Edmonton, but I'm also a proud Albertan. And Edmonton is our capital city. And Edmonton is in this province. And I, I still feel a kinship with people in, in Edmonton. Um, if, if I were out, if I were traveling the world and I ran into somebody from Edmonton, I would be, I would be very excited to, to run into somebody from Edmonton in Europe or Asia or something like that, because we're all from the same province. So I, I think it'd be good for our province to be a hub city. And so I, I'm not going to take the same pot shots that others are taking um, at, at the premier or I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that we continue pushing for Edmonton to be a hub city. Well, I mean, I also think Edmonton should be a hub city. And if me taking uh, pot shots at it has any effect on it, then uh, I, I would be concerned about that. Um, no, I, I think Edmonton absolutely. I think Edmonton should absolutely be uh, a hub city, 100%. I think it's hilarious when we have a come to Edmonton video, there is one shot, the opening shot of Edmonton, and the rest is come to Edmonton for this beautiful scenery that is a mere four-hour drive away from us. It, it just, it was funny to me. Now, if you go take a look at Ryan Rashog's Twitter, uh, he's and he's done a, you know, despite being from the other network, he's been very, uh, very up on the entire situation with Alberta's push and Edmonton's push to be a hub city. Some of the things involved, golf courses, potentially some excursions outside of the hotel, um, controlled, of course, and, and, you know, very, very locked down. But, you know, if there's an opportunity for some some R&R and and getting away from the bubble in a controlled situation, kind of similar to what is proposed in the NBA's bubble and getting to some of the places they could get some uh, R&R and, and get away from just being in a hotel room or a basketball uh, basketball court, or in this case, a hotel room or uh, a hockey arena. It's uh, it's interesting. I'm, I'm very curious to see how this whole thing plays out. Vancouver's very much in the mix. Edmonton's very much in the mix. Toronto, Vegas, those seem to be... Those seem to be the four. We we found out Columbus is not in the mix, so those seem to be the um, four cities that are are getting the most buzz right now in a hub city announcement that Elliot told us could be coming here in the next few days. Yeah, and I, again, I I think it should be just go Team Canada. Have everything up here north of the border, Edmonton and Vancouver. I would want nothing to do with going to to Vegas or anything like that right now. I, I think 
Canada has this much, much better uh, under control, much more under control would probably be the more grammatically correct way of saying it. Um, Canada's got this thing compared to the States. Uh, it's night and day, it feels like. So I, I would I would strongly recommend and even just like not factoring in what a boost it would be to the economy of this province and country if we had few hundred NHL players kicking around here for a little bit. Um, but just from a pure, let's keep these guys safe standpoint, I think it it should be both sites north of the border and figure out time zone stuff later. Uh, I do like this text, however. If that video Kenny put out sold you on it, Pat, I know a uh, Nigerian prince that needs your help. <laughs> <laughs> he seems so nice. How could you <laughs> yeah. not help him? <laughs> um, just a man trying to make it. Exactly. I, I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to help out. Uh, this piece of news as we go to break um, from ESPN. Uh, Jesse Rogers in Chicago. Jesse Rogers, ESPN reports. Sources tell Jeff Passan and I players have voted against the league's latest proposal to play 60 games. The vote was 33 to five against. <sighs> Remember on Wednesday and Thursday of last week when there was optimism in baseball? Uh, barely. Guess we were the oh. idiots for believing that. Right. You know what? Thirty-three to five is actually closer than I thought it was going to be. At least so, there was five who voted well, yes to yeah. it. Progress, I guess. You know what? Don't you know? We don't need you. I'll watch the NBA. I'll watch the NHL. I will. Maybe I'll watch the CFL. I'll watch the UFC. I'll, I'll, I'll watch Formula One returning in a couple of weeks. Baseball yeah. can beat it. I don't need to watch you. You're everybody has, has their head so far up their rear ends and and nobody seemingly has the best interests of the game at heart the players nor the owners everything is shady you guys can beat it i'll watch everything else i'm i i'm even at the point now and i was of the the most optimistic in saying that you know what i think they'll come together and figure something out and that'll erase any of the goodwill that has been lost even i even i'm at the point now can't get it back. You guys are all morons and enjoy not playing and ruining your sport for the next decade. Have fun with it. Um, Be careful. It's not baseball. It's Major League Baseball. Let me welcome you into the warm, loving arms of the, XLB, the Japanese baby. and Korean. Yeah, XLB. Yeah. <laughs> but no, Japan and uh, and Korea got you on lockdown. It'll be fine. It looks like Japan is pushing for a return even with uh, fans and buildings in the next little bit as they uh, continue yeah, to uh, work Go through it. I still think it's crazy. Like it is a, they're showing rugby in New Zealand and it just, it feels like a bizarro world, like another dimension seeing thousands and thousands of people watching rugby in New Zealand at 43,000 in Auckland last weekend. They had like, it's just like, okay, so this can still happen. It's a yeah. little ways away here, but it, it still can happen. So it's not completely, um, it's not completely offside to think that at one day, We'll have fans back in buildings. It just probably isn't knocking on the door right now. But it was cool to see. Uh, Wild Card Wednesday next. Let's get weird and uh, forget about all the ridiculousness of baseball. Next on Pender and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Let's take a spin and find out all the things we never wanted to know about our afternoon show. It's time for Wild Card Wednesday, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Well, at some point in the very near future, Wild Card Wednesday will return to its slot only on Wednesdays. Uh, July 6th is uh -huh. when we are targeting a return to normal programming. 
July 6th is uh, when we're targeting Hockey Central at noon to return um, with Kirsch and Lou, so on and so forth. And uh, this show starting at 1, Scott Rintoul will uh, return, all of that. So July 6th is our target date, and I believe we're going forward with it, um, is, is our target date for returning to normal. So once that happens... You know, we'll move wildcard because we're going to exit pandemic radio, which we've been in since mid-March uh, and back to more of a regular feel to our programs. Um, so wildcard Wednesday, I think we'll just move it back to its slot on Wednesdays as opposed wow. to doing it on other days. I just feel that's probably the way to do it. Unless you disagree, Klein. No, no, I think you're right. It's just it's going to be an, I haven't done non pandemic radio since February before I left. So. It'll be I, I've done more pandemic radio this year than non-pandemic <laughs> radio, so I it's going to be an adjustment. Um, yeah, I uh, the whole thing is very strange, so um, we'll see. But that is the uh, tentative plan right now. I just hear a cat in the background. I uh, don't think. I mean, there are cats here, but I, I don't think a cat made any I sounds. I, I this thought time. I heard a cat, but maybe not. Um, we are in our. Um, maybe it's the Wild Card Wednesday virtual casino, which we are in right now. As we welcome you back to the four o'clock hour, it's Pat Steinberg, Peter Klein, Riley Pollock. Uh, we are in the virtual casino. I was in a real casino on Saturday, and uh, tip of the hat to our friends at the Elbow River Casino, Scotty Roberts and Co. Uh, it, it felt very safe and comfortable at the Elbow River for the Belmont Stakes on Saturday, so I wanted to give a tip of the hat there. Um, but uh, yeah, in our virtual casino right now, we've got our big slot machine. We've got our five categories, pop culture, personal life, career, sports, and wild card. We all take a spin of the slot machine once and... Uh, we answer a. Uh, we all ask and then answer the questions. Uh, the leadoff slot has been reserved for Riley and Logan. So, Riles, are you? Uh, how much pressure do you feel, and are you ready to go? I feel pressure, and am also ready to go. I like that. Yeah, confidence. Hit me, baby. Personal life. Okay. Yeah. Um. All right. Here we go. What is number one currently on your bucket list? Of just anything Ooh, to anything. do? Yeah. <laughs> go to a bar. Uh, <laughs> You're allowed to do that. You can go do that right now. I don't know. I just haven't had time to yet. Seeing people, going to parks, enjoying the outdoors. Parks um, it's nice was... to have parks back, too. Yeah. Went to three this weekend. Anyway, I'm just stalling now. What is number one on my bucket list? Uh, I think, geez, that's a tough one. God, that's a good question. Cause there's like, you, I, you, you think travel things, um, you think like sporting events. I think number one on my bucket list, like I could cop right out and say, well, number one on my bucket list is a trip around the world. Uh, I just go, uh, uh, but that doesn't—that's that's a straight up cop out. So, of all the things that I would like to do, I think the the number one thing right now, I I would like to just go on and and, and an entire kind of immersive trip and and make it a holiday. No working involved in there. Kind of a whole immersive trip down under i think i'd like to do australia and see it all mm. i'd like to uh, yeah sydney melbourne uh brisbane gold coast perth all those like all those spots uh but like 
also want to get to Adelaide and, and just north of Adelaide and, and into McLaren Vale and, and the wine country. I'd like to see Darwin in the Northern Territory. I'd like to get to Alice Springs. I'd like to, so like, I, I think just like an entire six months in Australia uh, and, and be, be able to have the financial ability to not work for six months. I'm a little ways away from making that happen, but I think that would be it for me. I'd just like to spend six weeks in Sydney and then spend six weeks in Melbourne and then get get into some of the the less or the the lesser traveled spots or the lesser first on your list tourist attractions. I think that would be it for me. Yeah, I, I think for me, I, I would love to do like a European soccer tour and just hit a bunch of like go watch Bayern Munich, go watch Barcelona, go watch Manchester United. Like just go, go hit some of those uh, for a little bit. Uh, if if finances would allow, I would love to just hang out wherever a World Cup is and just go to the World Cup for a month and a bit. Like I, I think that would be unbelievable. But something along those lines would, would kind of it would still have to be sporting for me, but also taking in other cultures and things of that nature. A close second is going to wrestle kingdom in Japan. The, uh, the, the Japanese version of WrestleMania. Okay. Uh, I like, and I do like this every time that I've been off in the past and, and you know, it's, it's summertime in the past. Um, European soccer is not on. So I haven't been able to get to a, I haven't been able to get to Bayern Munich. Like I was in Munich last summer, but Bayern Munich wasn't playing. I, I've never been able to be in that situation. So I, I would like to do that too. I would like to get an opportunity to see, you know, again, I'd like to see a Inter Milan game and a Manchester United game and a Paris Saint-Germain game and uh, Bayern Munich and um, Real Madrid, so on and so forth. I, I would very much like to, to check that out. So I'm with you there. Yeah, those are both good answers, boys. What is yours? Uh, there's, I'm like, I'm also kind of copping out. I kind of have a tie. One's travel related, and it's just to do like Greece and stuff and go see where my grandparents grew up and the family that's still there and stuff like that. And just then just travel the rest of Greece as well. Okay. But sports related, I need to go see a game in the Falcons' new stadium. And see my boys play because I've never seen an NFL game before, and I think that's where I want to go first. Of all the nice. of all the NFL teams to cheer for, you choose the Falcons, eh? Yeah. Well, <sighs> well I mean, the one boys. thing that you, the one thing you won't have to worry about missing in the Falcons' new stadium, Riles, is Super Bowl banners. Wow. Guys got one, and is just like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's more than they have in Atlanta. Yeah. Fair. That's actually like their Tampa Bay Super Bowl is like the first one that I remember, to be honest with you. There's there's just something about that well, team that it's I one I'll never forget. Despise forever. Yeah, you'll never forget. Yeah, <laughs> you, you you hate that you hate that Super Bowl title as well as a Raiders fan. Um, okay, well that's a good, that's a good first start. I uh, I like that question, Riles. Uh, I am uh, I'm ready to rock in the uh, number two hole here. Let's rock and roll. Let's see what we got. Career. Okay. Uh, on the uh, career front, gentlemen, has there been a job that you really wanted? Not, not even necessarily related to like your career now, but have you ever applied for a job and really wanted a job that you didn't get, whether it is related to your career now or prior to you starting your career now? Hmm. 
trying to think. Not, not really. Um, good for you. Don't have to worry about that heartbreak. <laughs> Uh, like I've had jobs that I've applied for that I thought I was going to get, but when I didn't get them, it was kind of, oh, okay. Um, I'm trying to think. I remember one, one of the times that the afternoon show changed, Kirsch called me in and said, and asked me if I was going to apply. And I said, of course I am. I don't think I'm going to get it, but of course I am. He's okay. Just wanted to make sure you would. And then before I could get, um, to the like interview stage, it was, by the way, uh, we've hired Rob Kerback. So that's what we're going to do. It's like, Oh, okay. Um, but I, I didn't think I was overly qualified at the time to, to right. get it. And it was kind of, a. It was going to be no now or no later. So I, I haven't really had one where I, I got my hopes up and, and didn't get... I've had one where I had my hopes up and didn't have it for long. Uh, but I, I haven't had one where I got my hopes up and then just straight up didn't get it, no. And nothing outside of radio where that's happened? Well, I I had emailed a wrestling company in Japan like 15 or 10 years ago about doing it. English it commentary goes back to wrestling. I love it. It totally does. Yeah. And a lot of it goes back to Japan um, about doing English commentary and they seemed kind of interested. And then uh tsunami hit and it wiped out the promotion. Um, so that was, that was a little heartbreaking. That was still one though. That I was like, this probably isn't going to go anywhere, but this is kind of fun. Um, so the, the, the main key is I don't think I'm good enough to have any jobs. So keep expectations really low and uh, you'll never get your heart broken. Riles, what about you? Um, I don't really know of any, like, pre-broadcast industry. When I was living in Regina, I applied for basically every job under the sun and got told no for about six months. Um, I think, I think there was an AJ job that I tried to apply for just before, uh, getting this job. I, th I think it was Fort McMurray. It might've been White Court, one of the two. Okay. And I didn't get that, and I was pretty disappointed at the time, but then, uh, I got some information on this job like two weeks later, so I guess it was a bit of a blessing in disguise. So, yeah, like, it would have been sweet to call AJ games, but I think it kind of worked out in my favor. So I guess there's a couple for me that I was I was pretty disappointed at at the time, and they were both right around the same time. Uh, the first was, so this would have probably been summer-fall of 2005, I, I applied for, it was coming off, I, I did a year of, of doing the play-by-play -play for the old Calgary Vipers defunct baseball team. And so after that, I, I, I had an opportunity to apply to be the play-by-play -play voice of the AAA team in Ottawa at the time. Um, and they were looking for a play-by-play -play guy uh, to do web-only games. And so the Ottawa Lynx were hiring and I went through a pretty exhaustive interview process and, and did three or four different interviews with the Ottawa Lynx. And I believe I came in second or third on that one. And I was all ready to move to Ottawa. And, you know, when you, especially when you haven't been through a lot of interview processes, when you're going through two or three, you're feeling pretty good. Like you're going to get it. The more, you know, is that they usually put multiple candidates through processes like that. But at the time I'm like, well, this is like my third or fourth interview. I must be the front runner. Turns out I, I had a chance at it, but I didn't end up getting it. So I was pretty bummed out about that one. And, and right around the same time, the uh, Calgary Hitmen were hiring for their play-by-play -play gig. And I don't know how in the mix I was at the time. 
Uh, I really don't. Um, but I remember as soon as they announced the hiring of Brad Curl, who I would ar- I was already very familiar with during his time in Lethbridge. As soon as they announced that hiring, I said, "Yep, uh, that uh, that makes sense." That they're going with uh, Brad Curl, this Western Hockey League veteran and incredibly talented play-by-play voice who's been in the league for uh, the better part of the decade. So I wasn't as disappointed at that one, but the the auto. So right around the same time, I I didn't get two jobs that I thought I had a chance at. The the one in Ottawa was a little more disappointing than the one with the Calgary Hitman was, though. Mainly because you're just like, well, Brad Curl got it. Brad Curl's one of the best Western Hockey League, best junior hockey, best play-by-play guys in, on the planet I know. So yeah. that one, and I already, I had known that at the time. I didn't even know the man. Now I know the man very well. And uh, so that one didn't feel as sad. And like the nicest human being on the planet. No, he's a complete a-hole. But otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> no, Curly's one of the greatest humans alive. Yeah. Uh, I um, I so thought I, to, to kind of go along with this, there was a job that I wanted until I got there. And then it was, oh, no. And again, it comes back to wrestling, of course. Um, I had applied, or I, I had sent an email to a promotion in Hamilton about doing ring announcing for them. And they're like, yeah, come down to the show and, and we'll meet you after the show. And I went there and it was in a smoky bar. There was like a 12-year-old's birthday where the dad is outside lighting up smokes for the kids. Uh, we went inside. The ring was against the wall. Um, so they only had to apron off three, uh, portions of the ring and they still only did two. The roof was so small that the guys couldn't come off the top rope. It was just an app. Like it, it was the exact depiction of the South park wrestling episode. Uh, and like midway through the show, I was like, I, I want nothing to do with this place. I hope they don't know what I look like so I can just bail after. And then in the main event, the crowd was booing and their champion just started swearing, not in a heel way, just in like a, why are you here? Like what it like just started beaking off of the fans. Like he was personally insulted. So it was just an absolutely unmitigated disaster and I wanted nothing to do with it. So it was one where I was excited about it. Definitely could have got it because I was better than the nothing they had at the time. Um, But when, when I was there, it's just like, I, I, I don't want anything to do with this. And in fairness, uh, the Ottawa job, the Lynx announced, I think, very early on that year they were moving, and they ceased to exist after that. So it turned out that it was the right call not to... Like, oh, there you it, go. it worked out well because that ended up being their final year of existence in AAA ball. So it did it did work out in that respect, but I still was disappointed at the time. Okay. Yeah. Kleiner, and I, we got some great text to read after, uh, but Kleiner, uh, you've got our cleanup spot. Let's rock and roll. Wild card. Oh, boy, Klein, you hit the multiplier. Yeah. All right. What is... Uh, and this one, you guys said that I should get my, my wife's involvement on this one. So this yeah. is uh, this is a um, this is my wife's special. Uh, what is one decoration you wish you had at your place that you don't currently? A decoration, hey, or just some some like form a of decor item, or something. Yeah, like decor item or souvenir or just what is something not in your place right now from a decor decorative standpoint that you wish you had. Oh. I wish I had like actual um attractive upholstery at my uh at my condo. Like I I've got some decent pictures on the wall. I've got my framed signed Steve Nash jersey. Um like I've got I've got some cool things hanging in my place, but I like I I don't have curtains 
and it looks like if you were to walk into my place, you're like, oh, that's an unmarried guy. Uh, like there's there's not like there's no <laughs> there's no pillows on my couches and like there's granted folded and clean, but there's laundry uh, in the in the common area. Um, it's all like uh, the the color scheme's all very dark, you know, brown, dark brown, and that uh, gray and stuff like that. And I've got blinds, but I don't have curtains, and there are bare curtain rods. So the guy who owned the place before I bought it, um, there was he had curtains, and he actually decorated the place very, very well. Um, I don't have curtains, so I think that would probably be it. Something, something tasteful that would fit my decor. Like I don't need something in your face or gaudy or anything like that, but it'd be nice for the curtain rods to not just be completely unused. And then the only other thing would be something living like a plant. Um, I should probably get a plant, whether it's for my deck, whether it's for indoors, a plant would be nice because I think I could keep a plant alive, a dog, a cat, a hamster, a Guinea pig, God forbid a human who's depending on me, they would all die. So I'm not going to, I'm <laughs> not going to commit murder, uh, passive murder, but I will, uh, you know, I, I will, I, I think I could keep, keep a plant going. So I'll, I'll say a plant and curtains. Okay. I appreciate that. Hmm. Riles, what about you? So it must be a decorative item, like what something be- that spices up the house. Yeah. Decor item. Yeah. Something that you yeah. want to display. Oh, man. Uh, we got some good artwork in the living room, so can't touch that. I have nothing up in my room, but... Just bare walls? Yeah. Nothing at all. Um, maybe something cool in there, like a... I don't know, like a sweet sports piece of some sort. Um... I think, like, in terms of the whole house, three dudes living in the house, so, like, we're not the most artsy people on Earth, but, like, maybe we could toss, like, a a cool, like, beta fish vase with, like, a plant coming out Ooh, of it I... on, like, our okay. kitchen table. I don't know. Like, so, like, a, uh, like, you'd make a terrarium. Yeah. And, you know, our beta fish would be alone for its entire life because it murders other fish, but uh, I don't have anything to take care of, and I've always been a big pets guy. So that's been a battle, but uh, yeah, like to add it into the decor, I guess it's got to be a fish. Maybe some blinds for our giant front window too. People can just stare right into our house from the street. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah. Nice. Especially I appreciate now, that. Especially now that I know. <laughs> oh, you've been there <laughs> that's before, me Pat. and your bushes, Riley. Uh, <laughs> what, is your, what is yours, Kleiner? Um, I've always wanted a fireplace. I wish this place had a fireplace. That would be amazing. Um, we have kind of like a plug in one that it, it works for now, but I, I do eventually just want like an actual fireplace. Uh, as far as other decorative things, I wish I had more like autographed memorabilia, uh, of my own up this place very much. There's a couple, like I got, uh, a Kyle Lowry and Kobe Bryant painting here and my, uh, my Jose Bautista picture up. But aside from that, this very much looks like it's my wife's place and I'm just here. Um, so a few more just like autographed sporting items and, and things of that nature. That's a good one. Uh, I like Thank that you. one quite a bit. Um, yeah, my place is very clearly a, a like definite bachelor pad, not a whole lot of, uh, artistic touch. Um, I, uh, I need the, I need Bobby from the fab five to come and deck out <laughs> my condo. Um, oh, totally. 
Oh, we just got a fountain the other day. That's kind of adulty. Ooh, I would like a fountain too. Yeah. Like not we, one of the, we've been not one of the creepy ones, but I I, no. I would like I would like a fountain. Yeah, we we've been looking at like just no way we can afford any of them, but we've been looking at like super nice houses, just like looking to buy, like, hey, what how much does this cost? And any super nice backyard that doesn't have a fountain is just wasting an opportunity. And also this one I don't like, would this count? Uh, the one last one that now is number one on my list, if it counts, is uh, a rooftop patio. Does that count or is mm -hmm. that? I'll, I'll allow it. Okay, yeah, then, then rooftop that. patio is my number one. Like uh, whenever I decide to change, so I, I bought this condo November 2013 is when my payments and the mortgage started. So whenever I'm ready and whenever I have enough equity to comfortably move from there to maybe an upgrade, I, I think I think like ideally one of those... Um, one of those spots, whether it's in a, an eight plex or it's just a, a, an attached duplex, whatever the case may be, like one of those spots where it's a, it's a newer build, it's an infill with a rooftop patio. Like, for instance, Mission Crossing, that, that's bucket list right there on 4th Street. Mm. That, oh, they've got, they've got like four decks, including a rooftop patio. Now, you're spending a million. Like, I, I don't think I'll ever be able to purchase a $1 million home, but... If I did have that type of capital, Mission Crossing, unbelievable. Something like that yeah. would, uh, would now be my uh, answer now that I've thought about it a little bit more. Good question. We, we, we looked at a place that, had, that advertised the rooftop patio. I was like, oh, this would be amazing because from the rooftop, you'd be able to see out to the mountains and everything like that. And you, we drive up and it's like 17 stories. This is going to be incredible. And the rooftop patio is on top of the business side on the fourth floor. So you have... Just like a really good view of Chinook Shopping Center, which I mean, lovely, uh, but probably it, it wasn't necessarily what I was expecting. <laughs> Fair enough. And sometimes they'll do that with listings. Uh, okay, before we get to some texts, let's close it up. There's another edition of Wild Card Wednesday. This has been Wild Card Wednesday on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Uh, let's work in reverse on the questions. Um, first of all, the, the, the item, what you'd like to have in your living space. Uh, this, <laughs> Pat's pretty cocky about keeping a house plant alive. I currently own three unrecognizable pots of crust. <laughs> uh, that got me when I read it. Uh, this also... There's a Velociraptor statue at Canadian Tire I wanted to put into my living room window. <laughs> a Velociraptor! That would be amazing! Um, then, uh, then on the... Um, what was our second question? The job. Um, this one reads, When I was a teenager, I applied at Earl's and brought along a friend. She got it. They messed me around for three interviews, and I didn't. Uh, would have been nice to get the job. Uh, See, that was my first job. I was 15 and got the job, and it was the best job ooh, I've ever had. <laughs> uh, and then this one, I was so sure I was going to get a job once that I quit the job I had, but I didn't end up getting it. Ooh. Oh. That one. The old premature, I'm done here. I think I have another job coming. Uh, we regret to inform you we've gone with another candidate. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll keep your resume on fire. Ah, uh, oh, come on. And then on the bucket list one, um, somebody says a trip to Japan. Klein's already done that. Uh, somebody agrees on the uh, your European soccer trip one. Uh, agreed, saw Barcelona play a couple years ago. Unbelievable. Saw Messi, Suarez, Neymar all score. Unforgettable. Uh, that's a good one. Um, then uh, Anthony over at Hyatt Infinity, one of our great flame sponsors, uh, texted me 
And uh, he goes, Monaco Grand Prix, he's a fellow Formula One nerd. And definite sporting, like if there is number one sporting event, it would be the Monaco Grand Prix. And not only to go to the Monaco Grand Prix, but to do it like a rich person. Like I want to be on... I want to be on like Sir Philip Green's yacht or I want to be on um, I want to be on like uh, an F1 sponsored yacht. I want to like do Monaco right where like the richest of the rich do it. Like get me on one of those yachts in the harbor right by the tunnel section. Get me there or right by the swimming pool section. Get me there for the for the Monaco Grand Prix. I like that one a lot from Anthony. And then uh, on Twitter, Joy uh, texted, uh, rather messaged or, or uh, responded, says uh, when they're doing the seven-day round trips on SpaceX, when you can go into space, that would be on the bucket list. I don't know. I don't know about you. I don't know if I'm ready to be one of the first SpaceX passengers. I might wait for the first couple thousand to go before i yeah. hop in as a as an astronaut for a week i might wait to see that it's safe yeah, and there's nothing crazy that can happen i'd be cool getting the congratulations you're our one millionth customer bonus for that one i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna <laughs> give that one a a lot of runway before i'm hopping on uh good edition of wild card wednesday on a monday uh that was a lot of fun as per usual it's pat steinberg peter klein riley pollock along with you uh we've got more important news today on the nhl's restart plans with the latest coming up with our nhl insider elliot friedman every monday he joins us next on pinder and steinberg sportsnet 960 the fan Elliot, uh, in a lot of ways, Friday was not a, a great day for a lot of sports when it comes to their returns to play, but uh, that includes the NHL, which we're focusing hey, on. what are you doing? Where, uh, where are we on Monday afternoon after the news of uh, what we heard on Friday? What's the latest and uh, what are we hearing from around the league? Well, I think, I, I think Pat, it's, it's very fair to say that some players were really shaken. Um, it wasn't just hockey, too. You know, we had... If you, if you follow college sports, you saw the Clemson and LSU yep. football teams had some big ones. Major League Baseball, there were some. There was one in the NFL. There was, uh, I don't know if there were any basketball, uh, basketball, I don't remember. But, you know, I was just on in Toronto, and Richard Deitch told me, I didn't realize it, but one of the women's soccer teams uh, basically announced today that they're not going to compete because they had a few positive tests. So I think it was hard not to, um, you know, like, you'd have to be really unaware not to be kind of thinking, wow, like this is, this is a big deal. And, you know, I thought about it and I thought it was a big deal. Um, but, you know, I, I know the leadership from the league and the players is trying to say, look, we knew as we tested more, we'd get positive tests. Let's kind of see where we are and let's see where this goes. But I, I think you'd have to be an ostrich with your head in the sand, uh, not to be a little shaken and surprised mm -hmm. by the numbers of the last weekend. As the NHL started to rethink their choices on hub cities based on what happened and, and some of the news that we heard on Friday? I, I don't know if it's so much that. I, you know, like I, I heard, like there was a rumor going around the weekend about uh, Vegas and Vancouver, and I, and I heard that rumor. And, and um, you know, I, I think that, again, I think it's difficult to say because life changes every day. But the one thing about Vegas I know is they feel that they can keep a bubble there. Okay. Like, I think that's going to be the biggest question now, Pat, is it's not necessarily um, – well, I think the, the area that you're in, how safe is it, is it? Absolutely. But also, do you think you can keep a bubble? Like, one of the issues I've heard about Toronto is that they're worried about how they can keep the bubble. 
Like Toronto has the infrastructure. It's got the rinks. It's got the hotels. But I've heard there's a worry about the bubble. And if there's any worry about that, forget it. And the thing about Vegas is, you know, I think in Vegas, they really feel that, yes, there's been an uptick, but they believe they can keep a bubble there. That's one of the things I've heard. You can put players into a resort or two, and you can lock, and you can lock the rest of the world off from them. Uh, Vancouver and Edmonton, I believe they're big co, uh, whatever term you want to use, co-favorites, whatever. Okay. Um, they're they're out. They're definitely in it for the same reasons, and I think they've both got a legit shot. What goes into finalizing this? Like, what between now and whenever we hear about what, where the two hub cities will be, what goes into it? What's the process, and what are all the things that'll be considered when they when they finally make this decision? Well, I think safety of the bubble is a big one. Uh, I do think cost is a factor. Um, you know, I think safety is obviously the biggest factor. Which one do you think you can keep your players safe? That's enormous. Uh, cost is another one. I think that's one of the reasons why the Canadian teams are being included because the cost, because the Canadian dollar are cheaper. Um, and then I think it kind of goes to, you know, where did, like the players have a huge say in this, you know, especially if you're, if you're a team that goes deep in the playoffs, you know, you're going to be in there for uh, probably looks like o- over two months. Like it looks like it's going to be about 75 or so days yep. that you're going to be in the bubble. So, you know, people say, well, should it come down to the quality of hotels? If I was living somewhere for 75 straight days, you know, I'd like it to be a good place. So I think all of this stuff is a factor in. Uh, are, are you hearing anything when it comes to a timeline? Are you hearing when we might find out definitively? Well, I think one of the reasons that the Vancouver Vegas stuff got out on the weekend was because they had to start booking hotels. So okay. I think that that's how some of these rumors started. I thought they might do it all as part of the lottery on Friday night. Now I'm wondering if, if the hubs get done early. Okay, so so you are, it, it does seem somewhat imminent then in, in that case. Well, like, honestly, like, today's what, the 22nd? I guess July 10th isn't that far away. Well, also, I think they want the vote done by the end of the month. Today's the 22nd, right? Yep. Okay, I always forget what day it is. Actually, Donovan Bennett just told me what day it is, and I completely <laughs> forgot. Like, I think they want to know by the end of the month. I think they do. Um, I, I think that it gives them time to see if they've got a winner here in terms of the whole uh, protocol and the CBA framework. And I think also it, um, you know, the, the league calendar ends June 30th. And I think they would like to know before then. Right if they've got a deal here. Um, you, you talk to people all over the league at, at all times of the day. I'm just curious as to what your feel is on where where the overall temperature of the players is because I think it's a very personal thing how comfortable you feel about a restart, how comfortable you feel in your safety, your family's safety. I don't think anybody should be criticized one way or the other as to how they feel about this whole thing, but do you feel that there would be enough players to say, I just, I, I'm simply not comfortable with this and I, and I won't be going forward with it to, to maybe make it not possible for this to happen? Well, you know, Pat, I think it goes back to the first question you asked me is, is last weekend. Um, you know, I, I think, I, I, and then first of all, let me just say, I completely agree with you. I am not going to criticize anyone for not playing. If you don't want to play, hey, like, we don't know what COVID-19 does to people. Mm-hmm. We know that there's certain people that it affects more than others. Yes. We know that 
Are there certain situations where it's easier to catch it than others? For sure. We know that some people walk away with, you know, we don't think they've got any serious situations. But, you know, I've also read about young people who've had some very serious situations. We don't know. Like, to me, if you're not going to don't want to risk it, I'm good with that. I'm not I'm going to work. If I'm asked to work, I'm going to work. But if any of my coworkers, Pat, say I'm not working, I'm not going to have a problem with Mm -hmm. that. However, I do think, like I said at the beginning, I think what happened last weekend shook people. And I think that that's the biggest challenge you've got right now is we're kind of on the clock here. And are people going to be walked back from that? They have, you have time to change their minds. You know, how much did their minds change? Um, you know, it's, uh, it's like I quoted Margaret Thatcher in my Toronto hit. Maybe it doesn't matter what you feel now. It's, it matters you know, when you step into that voting booth, how yeah, you feel. Fair enough. Elliot Friedman's with us from Hockey Night every Monday here on Pinder and Steinberg. What uh, what did Friday's announcement uh, from the federal government when it comes to a cohort quarantine and essentially allowing players to return to Canada to be able to attend training camps, what did that mean for the NHL, which was kind of lost in all the other positive test news on Friday afternoon? Um, you know, I, I think it was good news because now you can put, you know, you can put a situation where you, you can put one of the hubs in Canada, like that wasn't happening if there wasn't a change. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was weird. Like, you know, we're hearing about all these positive tests and then you're hearing the Canadian government doing this. And I think some people react neg- negatively to that, which I get. Um, you know, I, I think that you know, what kind of happens is that we're going to probably have a Canadian hub because of that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just probably where we are. I mean, you know, the government, you would think, as you know, I'm not a big fan of politicians. Um, You would think and hope they have a lot more better and better information than we do. Yes. A hundred percent on that front. Um, You, uh, you tweeted some clarification on this. Uh, You and uh, Cap Friendly doing some, some work on because it's been one of the big questions about this whole thing is well if they're not going to play until august and contracts are expiring on june 30th what does that mean for players who were not supposed to be in contract after june 30th what are we hearing on an extension of player contracts right now well basically what i heard was that the they're trying to get the visas done right and in nhl for a lot of nhl players your visa if you need a visa to play in canada or the states your visa expires on June 30th on a regular contract. Mm. There are some players who are different, but most of them are June 30th. From what I understand, they, now they sent out a memo a couple weeks ago saying that if you can't get back into, if you don't get back by June 21st, which was yesterday, then they were worried that they wouldn't be able to get a new visa for you. Well, now what they're saying is that they can't get a visa for June 30th. So they've made a deal, the NHL and the PA, to extend the contracts of all those players who need visas through October 31st. And what that says to me, and I've heard, you know, Larry Brooks had a big story this weekend on the schedule, what mm-hmm. it could look like, like games by June, July 30th. From what I understand, the, the latest the Stanley Cup final can end is October the 5th. Okay? So what that says to me is that if there's a free agent date, in this schedule, it's November first, but they're not saying huh. at this point in time. Interesting. I never, I never thought of that. That's good connecting the dots on your part. Well, if actually. you think about yeah. it, like if 
if the if the if they're saying the contracts, which are normally June 30th, go through now October 31st. So while we're going to be checking our Twitter while we're giving out candy, <laughs> um, and then and and you know the Stanley Cup final, I believe the latest date is October 5th. That at least is now it's scheduled. That that's your free agent day. Well, it gives you actually a pretty good idea as to okay, well then you could probably slot in draft and buyout windows and all that type of stuff. You could start to October exactly. It's going to be a big business month if this all happens. No that's doubt. On, on that same note, it's funny because, okay, they have been able to uh, extend the contracts and agree on that part, but if you're an unrestricted free agent uh, and a pending UFA, there's there's still probably some worry because this is such an unprecedented situation. We, we've seen Ryan Reeves and, and a few other guys sign extensions prior to the restart. The closer we get to a training camp, if it happens, do you see more pending UFAs maybe signing a shorter-term deal just so they have some peace of mind if an injury happens or something like that, and now all of a sudden they're in a bad spot going into this new free agency period? I think it's going to depend on what your team cap situation is and what your number is. Like, you look at Reeves, his number was, what, 1.75? Yep. Like, that's not a number that's going to cause you a lot of problems. Right. So you can you can do that. Now, is if it's like if we're talking like a Taylor Hall or a Petrangelo here, I, I just don't know what kind of situation you're looking at there. Mm-hmm. Same with like a Tory Krug. Like I, I think those I think those kind of situations are a little bit different. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I, I was thinking of it like even from a Calgary perspective. You're like, okay, well, we don't know what type of market would exist for a Hamannick or a Brody if they got there. Would they sign for even a one-year deal just so they have a little peace of mind to play during this restart and not have to worry about if you get a knee injury and now all of a sudden your market takes a huge hit comes free, come free agency? I'm sure there's some guys like that, Pat. It's like life. Like some people are gamblers and some people like security. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're a gambler and you have a family and you say, okay, now I crave security. Like when, before, I was, before I was married with child, I, uh, I was a big gambler. I was not afraid to gamble on my, um, on my contracts mm-hmm. and things like that. I like to do that. And now, you know, it's like if I was just, if I was just in a boat where I was going to hit a mine and take myself out, I would still gamble. But, you know, now I, I have other people I have responsible for. So I think it depends largely on your personality. Like, do you, do you bet on yourself or do you say, look, I read the room. I don't like this as much. And let's see what teams can do. But until teams know for sure what the cap is going to be, and let's just say they're setting it at 81 and a half or 82 for a couple of years, uh, you know, for the bigger ones, it's just simply harder to yeah. do. Uh, he's Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada. He joins us Monday afternoons. Friday is the draft lottery. It's it's a big day. Just in terms of of the spectacle, in terms of how big a deal the NHL makes it, maybe news being announced. Uh, what what are you expecting come Friday evening? Um, well, like I said, I, I think we're going to know the hub cities at some point this week. And at one point I thought they might do it on the draft lottery. Now I'm not so sure. I just don't know. Um, so, and I think we're going to get an idea of when the vote's going to be. Like, uh, you know, basically if, like, if we're looking at a situation where it's all got to be done in eight days or a week tomorrow, mm-hmm. we're probably going to have a good idea of when the players are voting. Okay. So is it like do you, do you see Friday being? I know that we're doing something on Sportsnet and, and it'll be for television. It's just 
the first time the NHL has had an event since March. I, I just wonder how yep. big a deal they make it, how big a deal we make it at the network. Oh, I guarantee you we're going to make it a big deal. Like, we're going to be as subtle as a, a, a freaking neutron bomb here, I think, Pat. Like, this, this is something, like, the draft lottery's big. It's always a big event. Now it's big in a vacuum. You know, you know we're going to, uh, you know we're going to blow this thing completely out of the water if we can. A couple of uh, non-100% um, NHL-related things. Just a, a couple of observations I wanted for you before we let you go. What, uh, mm-hmm. j- just from afar and, and from what you've read, what did you make of the uh, junior hockey class action lawsuit spearheaded by Dan Carcillo? I guess that hit the news cycle on Friday as well. What uh, What do you make of that? Well, you know, I, the way I look at it is this. Um, if this goes through and we have a, a lawsuit here, everything will be out in the open. Like, I'm not around junior hockey much anymore. Mm-hmm. I never really have been a lot in my career, but obviously I follow hockey, so I see it. People have said to me many times that they have worked hard to make it better. And Carcillo has, uh, was out of junior 13, what, 15 years ago. And, you know, Garrett Taylor, it's been a decade. But then you see Eric Guest, and, and I watched those videos last week or two weeks ago. And as a parent, now that I'm a parent, it's really hard to watch that. You imagine it and you, and you wonder, like, what if that's my child? And everybody I know who follows junior hockey and loves junior hockey more than I do says that it's not perfect, but it's better. Well, what this will do is it will take it all out in the open and we'll find out for sure. Mm-hmm. I've n- I'm never afraid of the truth, whether it's good for me or it's bad for me. And I think that that's the only way you can look at this. We will find out the truth mm-hmm. about a lot of things. And, you know, the other thing I do wonder about, uh, Pat, and this is a secondary thing, but I think it is a thing. And that is that I wonder about the future of junior hockey in this country. And because, you know, there was just a $30 million settlement in the minimum wage suit. And the teams have to are responsible for half of that. Insurance is picking up half of that. Now you've still got the concussion lawsuit there, and now you've got this one. And there are I, like, I was planning on doing this. I have to go through it. I haven't had the time to lately. But there are a lot of owners who didn't own te- who current owners who didn't own some of these teams, and you know back when Carcillo played. And I think they're upset. And I think they're upset that they could be liable for this. And I do wonder about financially, there aren't many companies around that could handle settlements or defeats in three major lawsuits. Mm -hmm. So I wonder what this is going to mean for the sport. And um, I think there's a lot of, I, I I think there's a lot of people internally wondering about that, about, you know, how what what the damages here could cost if there are damages so i think there's two things i think i i think that we'll hear the truth about is the sport better at handling these things it does it happen less often or not we'll find out and i think also we're going to get in we're going to get a picture of just financially what this could mean for the future of the chl yeah well said um and finally uh, any thoughts on the pending class of 2020 
for the Hockey Hall of Fame. We'll find that out on Wednesday. Well, I have a feeling that you guys are going to have a big celebration. We hope so. Well, I, I just can't see how he's not getting in. His, like, am I nuts? I, I, I can't see how he's not. We're talking about Jerome again. I can't see how he's not uh, a first ballot Hall of Famer. We just had in the last segment, I made a pretty impassioned pitch for Flurry being a part of it. I'm not as confident that's going to happen, but I'm, I'm as close to 100% confident that Aginla will, will be voted as a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah. Well, no question. I'm, uh, I'm a big Flurry guy, too. I think he should be in. I, I'm, a, I'm a Flurry guy, too. Um, you know, I would say this, that uh, I think, I think Aginla's going to be in. Look, like, uh, you know, it's, I, I, I'm not saying that Lanny McDonald, like, influences the selection committee, but I, I mean, like, he's right there, and he saw Aginla's influence firsthand. Like, yeah. I, I, I can't think that's going to hurt. But, um, you know, like, the other guy who I really believe and I would like to see be a Hall of Famer is Daniel Alfredson. I saw a lot of Daniel Alfredson. Um, many of his best years coincided with, um, you know, my time at hockey night in Canada. And I just thought he was a great player. And, uh, I think again, going to be in and I, and, uh, I hope Alfredson gets in. That's Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night in Canada every Monday on the program as we start to wrap things up on this Monday afternoon. Next up, in conversation with Ron McLean. Thanks to Elliot. Thanks to Ryan Pike for joining us on the show today. Tim and Sid, by the way, coming up at 6 o'clock, too. We'll talk to you tomorrow for Riley Pollock and Peter Klein. My name is Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap us up on a Monday edition of Pinder and Steinberg here on Sportsnet 960. The Fan.